Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, start the meeting. Uh, Ron, do we have any public speakers? We don't. Can I call roll? Please. Thank you. Trustee Avalada? I don't think she's here yet. Trustee Bouquet? Here. Trustee Shequin? Here. Trustee DeVries? Here. Trustee Peterson? Here. We do have a quorum, and I have not received any public speakers yet. Okay, thank you. And I understand that Noah's to be with us soon. Um, let's move into the minutes. Is, do I hear a motion to approve the minutes? Motion. Or I'll second. <laughs> is a second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Let's uh, go to item B, information items. Uh, uh, Kim Miranda, Chief Financial Officer's report. My CFO finance presentation starts with an update on the COVID-19 funding. So here's page one of that. Uh, as I reported uh, last time, we did receive 14 million in April. Um, that was based on our Medicare revenue and our, and basically both based on revenue. Uh, and then this, since I last reported to you, we also down at the bottom there, for Paris part seven, received 825,000 and that's for Does somebody need to go on mute? And then just a couple other updates on, uh, CARES part four there, um, we, uh, Jody Copeland's working on that one. We don't know uh, when we're gonna receive those funds. Um, and on CARES uh, part five, I just wanted to add that Heather McDonald is our lead on that. And uh, um, the county has confirmed that they will give us that 150,000. So it's okay. a matter of doing the processing to get it over to us. And then the next slide, please. Uh, Kimberly, before you go to the next slide, can you talk to us a little bit about part six? It's such a big number. Yeah, so um, the county did receive those funds according to the website. And when I met with uh, Rebecca uh, Gephardt um, in our regular monthly meeting, um, she didn't have any information as to whether any of that would come our way. Uh, so I haven't, I don't have any other update on other than that, on that item. I, um, I'll, I'll chime in here, um, Trustee DeVries. Uh, so, um, one of the things, uh, just real quickly, uh, uh, we, we completed our kind of initial work in our joint, um, efforts with the board and, uh, the county, um, representatives, um, um, Dr. Clannon and others are around a COVID-19 task force and we've transitioned to kind of an operational engagement and we're having our first meeting tomorrow uh, to look at areas where we can further uh, collaboration around testing, around uh, contact tracing, around uh, being prepared for surge planning uh, and a couple of other things. And uh, my hope uh, is that that becomes a space where we can talk about um, how those dollars, my, my understanding is the dollars are for 
uh, COVID-19 relief efforts. Um, and so that probably can be broadly dis defined uh, from a county perspective, but uh, we're hoping obviously that some of that uh, helps us to expand our collaborative efforts in this space. Uh, uh, what we talked about in the task force on um, um, Wednesday or yesterday was that uh, this could be a basis, and I'll be sharing this with the group tomorrow, that we would um, keep providing updates to that group. So I'll make a note um, um, to uh, for Dr. Clannon and Rebecca Gephardt and uh, Dr. Alter, who will be joining us on that um, call, to say that uh, our board um, uh, has expressed interest in understanding how those funds are being used uh, um, from the county perspective and, um, and whether and to what extent they are uh, apportioned to uh, facilitate our joint efforts. But we had similar questions and didn't have any answers yet, but uh, we'll share that you are similarly interested and we can, we'll, we'll work to get you some answers. Thank you. Sure. And then on the second page there. It's like we're on a different link here. See, Mike, are you going back to the finance presentation? Here we go. All right. So two pages in. There we go. Uh, we did receive the uh, 25000 through the CHA, CHA grant, so that those funds have been received. Um, the CDPH grant, we are expecting that any day. Um, they just needed to process the invoice. On the United Way, um, we don't know. We have not heard back yet. Of course, that grant, that was just uh, submitted a month ago, so it hasn't really been that long for them to process and decides who's, who's going to be awarded what. Um, going down to the FEMA there, uh, we've been participating in the training. Um, most of the FEMA money seems to be related to expenses only, and you really have to do a lot of work to justify it. But our biggest area is in loss of revenue. So I don't know how helpful that will be. But I am in discussions with um, Rebecca Gephardt in terms of an MOU if we do a surge plan. So if we see a whole lot of uh, COVID cases and we need to expand our footprint, we would have an MOU ready that we could um, implement. And then uh, the county and us would get um, FEMA money back for that. So that's in play. In regard to the increased FMAC there, I'm expecting a check any day um, for the 382000 And I don't have an update on the Alliance. I know that they asked us more questions and Tangerine responded this last week. So any other questions on the potential funding? Okay, so the next slide is our expenses. Um, so far, we've got 514000 in our COVID-related cost center. I do expect that to pick up now that we're doing like testing in the tents and uh, there's some um, um, uh, staff that are actually watching PP&E equipment to be put on other staff, staff that are uh, providing care to patients. I expect that to start being captured in there. Uh, on the other expense side, some things are just based on our run rate, and we did that intentionally. We said if it was uh, ex an expense item through our normal proc 
procurement process, meaning we weren't doing a special arrangement. It wasn't more money. It was just the normal um, flow of uh, goods and goods and or actually just goods. We would just leave it in the cost centers where it has historically been because it's being used in a mixed way. Some of it might be on direct patient care. Some of it might be additional for employees in those units. We just thought we'll look at the amount overrun rate. And so that's what we've done there. And I think if I needed to prove that to, to any agency to get us um, additional funding, I would be able to do so with it in, you know, sitting there. Um, the IT services, um, most of that is labor and IT equipment, and we are still working to get that reclassed into the direct COVID cost center. So the IT team is, is working on that now. Any questions on expenses? No. no. All right, next slide, please. So this is our volume highlights. And uh, right off the bat there, you can see in the acute summary that we've got about a drop of 25%. Depending upon the week, it's been somewhere uh, around 25 to 30% actually in gross charges. Mm -hmm. um, if you look down a little further to ED and trauma, I guess the shelter in place has uh, reduced the amount of emergency uh, situations in the county because boy, it's it's down quite a bit, you know, 30, 40% trauma cases, 35%. That's huge. Yeah. Oh. And then you look down there at surgeries, um, the particularly that outpatient, those are mostly those elective things that, you know, usually we do pretty well on down 76%, overall 53%. So just a huge drop in not only the census, but some of the, the key volume areas in our hospital. Uh, going down to the skilled nursing, interesting there is the discharges. They're about half what they normally would be. I uh, uh, reached out to Rich, Richard uh, Espinoza, and he said it's because if families can't take the patients back, there's just not a safe place for them. So they're sitting there a little longer than what they normally would have. And over in clinic visits, this is interesting. So we see a drop overall of 35.6% in, um, in our clinic visits. Those are the traditional visits. You have to remember year to date, we're running about 10% behind. So that gets us right back to that 25% range. However, we've got telehealth and telehealth is not totaling up into the traditional clinic visits. It's being shown separately. And we've got um, 15,283 year to date, 12,827. I just need to warn you that uh, we were a little slow getting these stats built. So the month and year to date time periods aren't perfect, but the year to date is what we have captured as of April. Um, one might think that that would offset much of the 20 or 25% from run rate variance, mm -hmm. and it's not in charges. So I've got the team drilling into that to figure out what's happening. But I felt like I needed to call that out because from a, from a, if you looked at just April and you saw that we had 12,800 telehealth visits and our total variance for regular visits was 11,005, you know, why yep, do we yep. have a big drop in uh, charges, which you'll see on the next slide. So Kim, Kim this is Taft. Are, uh, so will going forward, will telehealth be kept as a separate line 
or will telehealth be reattributed to each of the sub-services within the clinics? Well, we could do it either way. Um, for me right now, I felt like we just really needed to call it out separately. Yeah, sure. Uh, but I'm open to, um, you know, any your recommendation. Yeah, I, I don't have one right now. I just, I'm just looking at, at how the data kind of flows. Yeah, you know, um, like for the time being, it would make sense to ha continue to have it separate. Yeah. We're, you know, we're not in something that's going to be over in months. It's going to probably be a couple of years. But, but there's, there's still pay, uh, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong, there's still pay parity between the telehealth and the visits, right? So during the pandemic, there's supposed to be, um, we're running reports right now to validate it. We had to have okay. enough build out and enough time for people to pay us to, to be able to look at it. So yeah. all of this started April 1st, we're at June 11th. So <laughs> we're just now, you know, starting to see uh, the claims come through and get paid. And also yeah. once we set it up, we put a hold on every single one of those charges to make sure we had the documentation so that held them up in house even longer. So uh, it's 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 been twinkling in slowly. So, okay. uh, but we are uh, uh, we've got the reports being built so that we can uh, report on it next time. I guess Kim, maybe what I'm thinking about, I uh, you know, telehealth is all bundled. If if maybe telehealth could be its own uh, bold as it is, and then sub explode out primary care, specialty, behavioral health. If you have that data set. Because, uh, you know, I, I did telehealth this morning and I had a full clinic and I, it, I just want to, I'm trying to right size myself with, uh, reconciling with this data. Okay, and, we could do that for sure. If, if that's not such a pain in the butt, but you probably have that data right there, right? No, I'm sure we have the data. Okay. Absolutely. I so just maybe rolled it all together. Telehealth by each of those uh, subspecialties. Okay. Yeah, we can do, I'm sure we can do that. So, uh, Kim, quick question on the, <clears throat> on the, uh, Decrease in discharges for the skilled nursing care, does, does that translate to a loss of revenue? Are they giving us a break on, on that or are they, you know, in terms of administrative debt? Uh, I don't have the answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, let me, I'll have to follow up on that. It's a really good, really good question. I know we got the relief from the CARES Act, uh -huh. um, but whether, uh, anyone's paying us differently because we didn't couldn't let these people go home or it wasn't a good situation i don't know the answer to that so i'll have to follow up okay yeah i i, I don't either actually I, I, it's a great question i i do recall reading that there was some uh um i don't know if it was from peers or specific uh peers uh or, or i should say from cms or from specific peers around um um asking for or, or uh, putting in place mechanisms to get reimbursement for patients that you couldn't place in SNFs because of, um, um, you know, limited capacity in SNFs to um, uh, accept patients if they had an outbreak or something like that, that that would actually be something that uh, could be uh, uh, reimbursed differently in this situation. Uh, but I don't know about, like, discharging people from SNFs uh, themselves. Yeah, I, I was wondering if... Uh... In theory, because of the COVID-19, if someone doesn't have the capability to take somebody back, maybe they could, do we still meet medical necessity or not? I mean, I don't know. That's a question. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. It is a good question. All right. Next slide, please. 
All right, so I thought it would be interesting to take a look at um, what's happened with our charges. Um, and EPIC actually provided the California average and was able to graph our charges against the California average. And um, what you can see here is that we dropped, but not as much as the California average. Mm -hmm. And I think that's primarily because, you know, our, our John George and our skilled nursing facilities stayed relatively full. Mm -hmm. um, so we didn't hit the bottom uh, that the, the average in California did. However, the average for California has been picking back up because they've you know been reopening. Yeah. So um, right now it looks uh, at least as of the 16th of May there, we look like we've kind of, uh, we're all Cross. at the same point, yeah. yeah. So this is HB and then the next slide is PB. Same thing, um, the lines look a little different, yeah. but the story's um, uh, pretty much the same. Uh, although that you can, you can see the California average has now gone up above where our PB charges are. Mm -hmm. um, PB seems to have a little more of a, a delay in open AR, uh, waiting for you know physicians to finish their documentation and get their charges. So that might uh, be why you kind of see these blips kind of going up and down instead of a more smooth line. But I thought it was kind of interesting. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot closer. Yeah. Next slide, please. Oops, one too many. So this is the just the overview of the financial statement. Uh -huh. So you know, you look at this and you go, "Wow!" You know, we got net income of fifteen point six million. We got EBITDA of twenty two point nine. We're sitting at a twenty one point one EBITDA margin. You know, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, life doesn't get better, right? I mean, that's just like awesome except for that it's not going to result in cash and that is problematic um so let's talk about that some more in the next slides here so i'll talk about the revenue first uh fee-for-service revenue so um like we saw in the stats we have a, a about a 25 percent drop the blended here of gross charges is down 25.3 percent so it's pretty much in line um although like i said the professional fee revenue is down 33.2 consistent with stats but where's that telemed um money sitting so we'll we will look into that um our net Patient revenue at 16.2% is just slightly below our trend. And again, because of the mix of services, we're not doing those higher end services, you would expect your yield to drop a bit. Yeah. Um, but then you, you see what's really driving it, and that's the other government programs. 37.7 million positive variants there, 23.7 of it from the Medi-Cal old waiver. So, um, as everyone I'm sure is aware, we were, we were um, informed by CAPH that CMS was expecting to have these old waivers and old cost reports settled by December 30th. Um, 
they've been making way on getting that done and CAPH updated their model and the safety net care pool also sent out money to us, uh, $15.1 million to us. Some of it we actually do have to pay back, but when you, um, when you true up to the, to CAPH model, we ended up making a whole bunch of adjustments in the financial statements. We eliminated reserves, which is good. We won't have to pay as much out later, but unfortunately it's not new income that I can reflect in EBITDA this year to pay those recoupments. It's just that we will end up paying uh, a little less, if that makes sense to anybody. Yeah. I try to spell it out here of the net impacts on the financial statements. So yep. um, a lot of movement, which means we're getting closer to settlement. No. And then on the supplemental programs, now that's a, a, a story there, a lot easier to understand. So GME last month, I told you we weren't going to get it. And then now they're going to give it to us. So we were no. able to recognize 9.5 million and we will get the cash in for 17, 18 this fiscal year and 19, uh, 20 next fiscal year. So that's really great news. Um, we're doing the, uh, the COVID uh, CARES Act funding of 14 million. We're uh, reflecting it at 4.66 million each month. So that's cash and revenue. So that's that's easy to understand. And then we're holding back on QIP at 0.6, just because we think it's going to take a while to get Epic able to report on all the metrics. We do still feel that we will get our get Epic um, up and ready to be able to report on the metrics, so that when we do final true up, we will actually get our funding back. So lots of lots of movement this month. <laughs> we ended up closing our uh, financial statements three times. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. That's a good word for it. <laughs> any uh, any questions from anyone on that? I think so. No. No. Nope. Okay. Next slide, please. So this is the expenses. Uh, we're over 3.3 million for the month, 21, uh, almost 22 million for the year. Uh, if you look at the variances for the month of April, purchase services is the biggest one. Uh, that's been over all year. It's just more over. And why it is more over is because we had a lot of Quest Lab invoices for COVID testing for March and April. None of that was budgeted for. So that uh, ticked us up. And, and also um, uh, in materials and supplies as well for cleaning, some of its purchase services, some of its materials and supply, but um, both of those are much higher than they've been all year and it's directly COVID related. And then uh, depreciation, we've talked about that every month. Um, we underestimated depreciation for the year for the acute rehab and for um, Epic or Sapphire. Uh, good news there, though, is the projects are on budget. So it's just a timing difference in the budget and not something that we need to worry about because the total spend was in accordance with plan. Kim, could I ask a quick question? 
with those uh, <clears throat> increased expenses, can we, um, is that is that FEMA reimbursable because it's all related to COVID? We can't double dip, but yes. So first we're waiting to see what we're gonna get back on all those other grants that were on that first, the first couple slides. Many of those were expense related. So we're waiting to see what we're gonna get back to cover the expenses there. And then we'll ultimately do a FEMA um, application uh, we've got uh, folks internally working on it, and uh, we've had three sessions of training so far on, you know, how to fill out the forms. So we will we will do it, but it's something that kind of happens after the fact, not in the middle of. Okay, thanks. So you want to go on to the next slide, please? So this is uh, the breakout of labor. Uh, we did this just because some of these variances are pretty significant. Uh, just to remind everyone, the largest variance remains the retirement. This is the non-cash portion, the amortization mm -hmm. um, for that was required under GASB 68 and 75. Um, normally, in the old reporting format, we used to put it below the line and not, not really talk about it. Um, but the, to be consistent with the audited format, I went ahead and moved it up into labor costs. Uh, we'll try to do a better job of estimating it. Again, it's based on, you know, one point in time, December 31st, whatever the interest rates are, and the actuarials, actuary goes out and um, estimates what our future liability is on the pension. And then they, they say that, you know, we have to make up that deficit or we can uh, also have a reduced expense if interest rates went up, right? Um, so because interest rates have been low, we've been seeing this hit. What's important here is that, you know, you combine the salary and wages and registry when you uh, take a look at this. Uh, so the net is 1.8 million um, positive uh, and 5.1 million favorable year to date. So we're more favorable in April than we've been running. Uh, the reason for having the lower cost is the vacancies that I list up there on the slide. Mm -hmm. um, but you, I would have thought April would have been a neg uh, less favorable, more or negative even, yeah. um, because we had all the leave of absences. Mm -hmm. So what's happening is, although we have a lot of folks on leave of absence, like 440, I probably have it on the slide there. Um, those people, we didn't, many of those people were folks that, that we didn't need to backfill because we had such an empty or low census in the hospital or in the clinic because we were doing telehealth. We didn't need all of those people to check people in. So we have managed to be quite efficient and flex down to our lower volumes. And I have to be honest, I really thought we would incur more registry and a higher expense, and it's not the case. And even in my billing area and my finance area, a lot of people didn't take the leave. What they did is they, they um, managed with their spouse and maybe took some PTO off the balance sheet so they're not being paid on the income statement, and then still continued to work you know, as best they could in this, in the pandemic situation. So, you know, I, this was a surprise to me. I, I don't know if others had a better crystal ball, but I had predicted that we would have a higher expense. 
So, Kim, can you put a number to me? How much did the leave of absence in all, all, the whole kit and caboodle, or is, is that too hard to, well, I mean, this is what you do. How much did the whole leave of absence uh, to date cost us? Um, so we do have pay codes that track that, and yeah. I know I had the FTEs. Let's see if I can find it here. Here it is. So you quoted 400, uh, four, uh, roughly 450 of our employees took us took took us up on the 12 weeks of paid leave. Yeah. So I have it through May 16th. And on, in the May 16th uh, pay period, we had 440.3 FTEs out. And we paid out 1.6 million in leave for April. Um, yes. So it was building up. It started out at like 124, went to a million, and then a million four, and a million six. Hmm. So I was thinking that would all be backfilled, or most of it would be, maybe not all of it. And we're not seeing that. So um, the low census, I think, uh, really helped us in. Uh, yeah. In one way, <laughs> right? Yeah. But I guess, I guess not in revenue on the yeah. side. A question, though: the, I assume the re registry is uh, the travelers mostly. Say that again. Is the registry Reg registry mostly travelers? Yeah. Yes. Um, also, in there are some manager folks that are interim, but um, yes, most are travelers. So if we had a surge, then we would have had a, we would have had costs related to those leaves, and then we would have backfilled. Oh. Yes, so um, that's a good thing we flattened that curve. <laughs> yeah, but we may be back in that. So right, right. Well, which it kind of leads to another question. I mean, we remind me on the leave program. Was it a one-time offer, or is it still available to staff until the end of the year? I know that they could take uh, 12 weeks, and they could take it all at once, or they could take it intermittently. Um, but I don't know if they could repeat it again if, you know, if we did get a, a surge. Uh, Devecchio, I don't know if you have that answer or if Tony's on the line. Yeah, I was looking to see if Tony's on the line. or yeah, Tony. I'm on the yeah, line. Tony's there. Yeah, so it's a one-time deal, uh, and they're not all eligible for 12 weeks. Some people are eligible for two weeks. Some are eligible for the 12, depending upon their individual situation. Um, and so once used, it is exhausted. Uh, the leave itself is available. We're following the Families First Coronavirus Act, and so that runs through the end of this fiscal year as approved by Congress. And so obviously things are subject to change because we don't know how the virus will play out. Right. Over the next couple of weeks, I'd expect somewhere around 25% of those people on leave to return to the workplace. So that will start to bolster the existing workforce and probably drive down travelers a little more. Many of the travelers, uh, Janet was able to secure a good deal and get six-week contracts instead of 12-week contracts as we got ready for a potential surge. So we didn't incur long-term uh, typical 13-week contracts as we might have otherwise done. Wow. So they managed... Uh, Janice's team managed the expense on that side very well. So I think as we start to see people return to the workforce, obviously we're not sure whether or not there's going to be, you know, a second surge here or, or a, an increase in cases. Uh, so but we'll benefit as people return to the workforce. We should be able to ramp down on the travelers 
use the, the benefit is in fact exhausted. Right. Thank you. Any more questions? All right, next slide, please. So now we're moving over to the balance sheet. Um, and uh, what's kind of interesting is our day's cash kind of poked up there a little bit. Um, <laughs> and that's really just the timing difference for, for payroll. Um, sometimes it hits, you have extra money in there to make payroll. And so that's what, why that went up. I, that was one of the questions I had because I had never seen it to seven. Because <laughs> as everyone knows, the county sweeps our cash. So uh, anyway. Um, Could you say something a little bit more about that? Because this triggered that for me. It's like we had a good month. It should kind of show up in cash. But of course, we have the sweeping from the, from, uh, the county that happens per our agreement how Correct. Does it work what what's the uh, trigger for the sweeping so they sweep every day and so it goes over every to the day. county every day but we still have to fund our payroll and fund our accounts payable so every once in a while um, depending upon when we ask to have the funds um, uh, provided to us to make payroll or to make a payroll or AP run it can um, it can hit the end of the month and then we'll have a little blip i see okay but our, our net negative balance goes down during these times right uh well the net negative negative balance goes down every day that we sweep the cash but then every time we pull money to make okay. a payroll or to pay ap then it goes back up gotcha so it's always moving so the county is literally the treasurer for the system the bank <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, so our days in AR continue to go down. I mean, that, that is fantastic news. And, and I don't want to take away from that, but I also need to be honest. A lot of why it's down is because our charges are down. So mm -hmm. if we have fewer charges, our days in AR, you know, will go, will go down. Right. Um, our percent over uh, 270 is 1.5. It did come down. That's good. We have been focusing on... Um, really trying to get the older claims out. Um, there's a lot of different work queues and a lot of different people working stuff, but we uh, really started focusing on the fact that we could we could um, need to write off money because we weren't making timely um, requirements. And so the, the team has uh, been focusing on that and they did bring it down. Uh, not that it's good, but if you look at Fiscal year 2019, we we're at 6.3. So, looks good to me. Yeah, <laughs> better. Um, days and accounts payable came down because we got all kinds of cash, which we will talk about here in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. And our current ratio improved, yes, a little bit because we had more cash, but also because um, we reduced our liability under the old waiver. So, that helped that a little bit. Any questions? Next slide. I thought rather than just put the, the payment slide this time, I'd give you the graphic. It's in usually in my revenue cycle presentation, but because of COVID and, and the fact that we have more cash than we thought we would, I thought this would be a really good way to um, show you all what's happening. 
So if you look at the uh, left side, you can see that there's a big deficit of cash. The green line in the middle is where, you know, on average we should be. So, you know, in December through uh, January, we were not bringing in the cash at all. And you may have remind, you might remind, you may be, I might be reminding you of the presentations back at that time. Um, and that my concern was that this really needed to pick up or we're going to have to take an adjustment on our net revenue, right? So in the middle, you can see in January all the way through April, you know, we just knocked it out of the park, right? Mm -hmm. COVID started mid-March, and so our charges wow. dropped, so we would expect lower collections. But I'm still not seeing it because if you average out, you know, even up through May, we're not that far off. So I haven't seen the impact of COVID, or at least not much. So that's the HB. Yeah. And the next slide, I think, is the PB. So here's the PB and the same thing. You know, we, we weren't doing very good in the beginning. And then, you know, we got claims out the door. We started getting paid. We had this big bolus in the March-April time frame. And then now it's kind of flattening. So still not really dropping so um i mean it's 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 great that we're getting this money in the door but it is definitely making it hard to see the covid picture next slide please i just want to ask kim so i mean basically what you're saying is that improvement is is epic it's uh it's us stabilizing epic getting claims right. out the door and getting paid I like the sound it, of that you know, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's interesting, but um, Craig Carlson was our interim VP of uh, Revenue Cycle, and I was talking to him today, and I asked him how his day was, and he was like, Kim, I haven't had a good day in months. <laughs> because, you know, it's like you fix one thing, and then you find another, and you fix something, and you find another, and it's just been this this uh, you know ongoing challenge to to stabilize, but we're making progress. It's not as fast as we wanted it, but every single metric is improving. I mean, we saw the denials go up, and we'll we'll talk about this later. Um, we expect the denials go up when you get finally get your claims out the door, and then now you're you know you you stabilize the front end, then now you've got those denials. You got to stabilize the back end. Find out what was broken, get it fixed in our system, so we get a clean claim next time. So it's just it's uh it's it's getting better, but it's it's really it's difficult. Kim, this is Taft. I just have a knowledge question to, uh, to educate me on. One of the uh, metrics was AR at 270 days. Why 270 days? Is this an industry standard at 270? Why not uh, why not half the year 180? Can you talk to me about that? It is something that was there pre-me, and we can we can change it. It's just okay. I just never changed the metric that was in the table. Got it. So, so. It, does industry use two seventy? Because I would I would assume, uh, you know, again uh, I'm an amateur on this stuff. But once you hit plus ninety days, you're, the probability of actually recouping that AR is nothing. So, two seventy at, at those at those AR greater than two seventy, are we actually getting any of that money? Um, yes, uh, it definitely that your collectability goes down. Um, yeah. but I agree with you. I probably should change that. Um, and if just you for, look at our epic, for some historical context, folks, uh, yeah. uh, so, so it, 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 at 
uh, predates me as well, but my understanding of it was um, uh, some, uh, actually, I'm trying to think if any of you were around, and Joe would have been around, um, uh, the Toyon report. Um, one of the findings at that time was, you know, the challenges with the uh, rev cycle for the organization, and they had uh, come up with all these different groupings for uh, periods of time for the AR. So yeah. uh, we used to show a... Um, a, uh, a sort of a, a set of bar graphs that would show you where the AR was, like where the buckets were. Were they less than 30 days? Were they between 30 and 60 days, 60 and 90, 90 yeah. to 180 and above? Uh, with the point being exactly that, that the longer your AR was out, I mean, obviously some period uh, understanding of um, your lag time to get your bill out, but then uh, the payer response time, but then the longer it was out, the less likely you were to recover. So there used to be metrics for what percentage of the AR was in that window. So it was just a measure showing you overall that here's the total AR. The part that's at risky here is uh, this proportion of it. So you could see yeah. that, um, uh, but you can change that number to move that bar wherever you wanted to. It was just a historical context, but that was the lowest um, uh, bucket of risk. And you always wanted that to be close to zero because you didn't want things to get uh, that far out. Uh, yeah, uh, again, uh, I'm not pushing one way. I, I, I'm I, just here asking why. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a good question. Because at 270, you think at, at 270, that's like squeezing water from stone, right? <laughs> A lot uh, harder to collect that old stuff. It? Sort of some payers are six months and some are 12, like Medicare is 12 and most of the others are six or like what would be, what would correlate, I guess, to Dr. Bouquet's point with yeah. where the drop-offs so, are. So there's an initial billing requirement, which uh, fee-for-service Medi-Cal is a year. Um, uh, different payers are different. But then once you bill and then you get a denial, it starts a new clock depending upon your contract. So like um, it's like Alliance, I, off the top of my head, I don't know what their turnaround period is, but I know in a previous life I had 60 days. So it depends upon the, the agreement you have with the managed Medi-Cal plan. Fee-for-service Medi-Cal though, it has a lot longer um, period. Uh, so it's not one size fits all. Yeah, okay. makes sense. Yeah. So, um, any more questions? No. So this is the supplemental table, and again, this just tries to tell you when the liability came on on the left side, and then on the right side when we think the cash will turn around, and you can see the big change there in the old waiver. You know, we're going to have uh, 15.2 million coming in in June on the safety net care pool. That was done intentionally to help hospitals. They just paid that out, got the cash out. They didn't worry about the other two components of each of those waiver years. They just said, we're going to, you know, we're going to finalize the safety net care pool and sent those out. Um, with the exception of three years that are still, still haven't been, um, haven't been moved down this path. And then uh, in FY21 there, we had the payback. Uh, they have the payback there of 65.9. That was 75. So we got, we ended up being able to uh, reduce our reserves um, for the old waiver uh, about 10 million when this all netted out. That's probably the biggest change there other than the regular um, uh, 
uh, you know, IGTs that we do and payments that we get. Next slide, please. So this is the slide that uh, is still really boggles my mind here. <laughs> so um, we, uh, you know, everybody knows that hospitals were horribly impacted um, by COVID. So um, we received new money. We talked about that in the beginning of my presentation, the CARES funding, um, the, which included the SNF, which was new this month. We also are getting some of that grant money in that we talked about. But then there's a whole bunch of advancements from 21 that got moved into 20 to give us cash today that the safety net care pool we just talked about for eight, nine and 10 for the 15.1 million that'll be here in June. The GME that we weren't gonna get and now we are gonna get is 9.5. The HPAC funds, um, we didn't think we would get those until September. Now we're gonna get them by June, 16.2 million. And then the counties county went ahead and said, we're going to prepay you the grants. So those are for like HIV and some other small, smaller grants that normally wouldn't get paid until next fiscal year where they're going to pay us early. Um, I did, I, I, the new funds are also there that I just talked about. And then of course, there's the funding for John George. Um, the, the request did go to the board of supervisors. I believe it was June 2nd. And they did approve the 8.7 million for FY19. I think we will also receive that this fiscal year. For FY20, they reduced the amount of the request. Originally, it was going to be 10.4 with a 4.1 million risk pool. Um, because of the, you know, the financial uh, situation with the county, they felt they could not include that 4.1, so it dropped to 6.4. And I still don't know if we're going to get that money before the end of the year, whether that will be 21. We had assumed in our FY21 budget that it would be next year. So I don't know which way that will go yet. Any any questions on that? Certainly helps with cash. Yeah, definitely does. Yeah. <laughs> Changes everything. So, but I guess it, yeah. it pushes the, uh, pushes it down to next year, right? Or yeah. So I think the next slide is the graphic of that. All right. So then when you uh, you build all of this in, you get a, a, a different story here. You, we we kind of kick the can down the road, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but a few comments I need to make before we talk about specifically what this says, and that is the assumptions. Um, what I've done here is just assumed our run rate. I didn't build in our FY21 budget. I didn't build in our high need for capital this year. All I said is if things continue in the future the way they have in the past, this is what this will look like. Uh, why I did that is because we're not done with the budget yet. We've, we've got a lot more work to do and there are so many unknowns. Yep. I thought that the best picture would be just to look at run rate. So that's what this does. Somebody have a question? Lewis, did you? No, I'm just agreeing with your okay. approach on that. I mean, the one thing we know now with certainty is that there's complete uncertainty in our ability to project how this is going to land on us. I, yeah, I would agree. I think that I think that was the best call you had to do with Kim. 
I, I just, I don't know. But this also gives you good information. Um, so, yes, we got all this cash in. So now we believe we will, you know, meet the NNB at 630. It drops down to 125, and we think we'll be about 100 million on our line of credit. And then I think we're going to see the impact of COVID. And I've spent quite a bit of time showing you how we haven't met. Um, eventually, we have to see less cash. It's it's inevitable. If you're not charging, you're not billing, you're not going to get the cash. Right. So um, so we see like a step up almost on the line of credit, which you could say, well, that's the impact of COVID. And then because we're using this run rate budgeting, we level out. We just level out right along the the um, NNB, um, whereas before we were hovering right below it. So it's like we just kind of. Uh, um, you know, uh, incurred the COVID costs. It, it drove our line up a little bit, and then we're just back floating right where we always have been. So that's that blue line. And I think that's an important concept. And then the red line is when you add in the recoupments that we've been talking about for right. a very long time. Uh, so uh, this, this suggests somewhere around the end of September or something like that, early October is when we would have to have uh, some infusion yes september 30th is where we go over um and you know this is pretty accurate because it's actually comes off of a uh you can see the dates down there um mm -hmm. so it's a, a weekly kind of it it comes from a, a weekly file uh, that generates this so it's pretty accurate as far as timing and when, when payroll is needed or AP is needed. And you say this does include, include the recruitment, the red line? The red line does. So I've got it. It's laid out on the next slide. If you want to, you can go there and then go back if you want. So okay. the next slide just kind of lists these big things. Got it. Um, so there's the COVID-related. You know, I'm thinking that between July and August, it's, it's $24 million. And, you know... I don't have a crystal ball, right? So um, I'm assuming some of the COVID will hit us in June, um, but uh, that's the amount for July and August. And then we've got these waiver recoupments, um, which are, you know, um, I mean, big dollars, yeah. which we've known about, although we did true up the old waiver yeah. for the years that I had updates for. Yeah, I just want to uh, add, so, so uh, just to kind of underscore uh, a point that Kim is making here. So uh, the red line is a, uh, a, um, is a uh, kind of a derivative of the blue line. The blue line is still a run rate budget, which is not what we have right now. Uh, our, our budget now uh, pretends to, to be higher than that. So if it were, if it were higher than that and we, don't, we can't get it closer to run rate, then the blue line shifts as well as the red line shifts. Uh, the other thing she said is it doesn't include uh, capital uh, yet. So that's a piece uh, um, uh, to make sure you're aware of. And then the other part here is uh, the budget doesn't uh, at this point assume uh, any ongoing uh, su substantial impact relative to the pandemic, uh, which obviously is hard to do. So uh, we do have, as of last week, there were some forecasts that came out from uh, the California Healthcare Foundation and, um, oh, I'm blanking on the company now. Um, uh, Kaufman Hall, I think, did some work with uh, uh, CHA, uh, the California Hospital Association, to look at 
the, um, the anticipated impact along different sort of scenarios for uh, California hospitals relative to uh, pandemic experience. And there was a forecast that by December, um, even in the kind of the most neutral of situation, there's still several uh, billions of dollars that uh, hospitals would lose. And so just to be clear at this juncture, we're giving you kind of what a runway would look like. And the only thing that's impacted on that is the outstanding uh, prior year collections. Uh, that run rate is a piece that's still fluctuating substantially from the budget and then the uh, reality in terms of how conservative we want to be with what might happen in the next couple of weeks to months and, and to the fiscal year relative to the pandemic itself. Right. Do you want to go back to that previous slide and look at the lines again, or if that, if everybody, if anybody has any other questions? I think we're there. I, I do want to. We need to wrap up by six, so uh, probably should push through. I guess. I guess. I, I guess. I have one question. I, I mean, at, at what what point should we get back together with the auditor again? Um, you know, June or something like that. As soon as possible, but I think yeah. they asked you all uh, July, I believe, is what they said. Uh, but if, uh, I mean, we're in June now, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we should be uh, scheduling early July to forecast for that September blip. Yeah, so we should probably ask them for a meeting pretty soon. How to schedule it in early July? Sounds right. We'll ask Rana to follow up with them uh, to to get that scheduling going. Okay. All right, well, that's the finance report. Okay, great. Thank you very much, Kim. Uh, let's move to item B2, uh, our COO report. Luis? Hello, sir. Hi, good afternoon. I, uh, you know, I, I think I can certainly help you make some time back, uh, Mr. Chair. Uh, I do know the report is posted. I, you know, recognizing that Kim's you know, uh, as she's been continuing to really enhance and improve, uh, you know, our, our, our financial reporting, uh, you know, she's covered so much detail in, in, in that uh, presentation. I mean, I am happy to, you know, answer any questions you may have regarding our report. As I had shared with you all a few months ago, uh, my goal is to uh, present you with another alternative or another uh, a revamp uh, operations report that really gets down to the SBU level. Uh, and I know that uh, in our pre-meet uh, had given you a high level update on that uh, Trustee Shaquin, but uh, I do want to spend some time with Trustee Bouquet as well and and bring him up to speed on, on what we're trying to do and how we could look at further aligning, uh, you know, that as we've been discussing in previous months, that intersection between finance and quality. And so how we can look at leveraging those SBU reports to not only focus on how we are carrying out our care delivery, uh, but doing it in a very financially responsible way. And so how we bring those two together uh, is our goal. So I've been working with our SBU leaders to put that together, and we're hoping that by um, uh, July, if not, certainly after the uh, recess month, we will have the, that new report. But I will certainly work closely with the two of you uh, to present that and and uh, get some feedback and make sure that we are providing you uh, the detail that you'd like to see, uh, but also further complementing uh, the work that Kim has done and not being duplicative about the process. Great. Well, thank you very much. That's great. Um, I guess I would do a sort of Dr. Burkett sort of question. Um, mm -hmm. what, what's concerning you right now in terms of, uh, from a financial perspective, in terms of operations, keeping operations within budget? And what is uh, pleasantly surprising you? 
Put you right on the spot. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said you were asking Dr. Ruggett a question. <laughs> you're asking me. I'm asking a question he would have. He was, he was you're, asking, you're, you're asking me a Dr. Bouquet type. <laughs> Correct. Sorry. Got, got it. it. Got he, it. he doesn't ask it as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a hard call. <laughs> no, no. No, no, thank you. Uh, well, uh, again, I think as Kim, as Kim mentioned, if I, if I caught your questions correctly, my apologies. But, uh, as Kim mentioned, uh, you know, we, we have closely monitor our patient care activity. Uh, we're managing productivity that we're flexing as appropriate. Uh, and that's really helping with, uh, you know, the activities of, of care delivery volumes. And so, you know, with that, I'm trying to manage our registry. We've been managing all of our, um, you know, activities with missed meals and breaks. Uh, but at, at the same time, we're also wanting to make sure that we take this opportunity to really enhance the operations of the facility and really the greatest compliance uh, and, 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 re and be ready for our resurvey. And so, you know, although we have been balancing both of those where we are looking at, at making sure that we uh, flex appropriately to volumes, we're also making sure that in certain areas, we're very strategic and thoughtful about bringing in additional resources to really help shore up some of the work that needs to be done and really putting us in a position where we can, uh, uh, you know, really be, uh, you know, ready for, for our survey. And so I, I know that we've come a long ways over the last, uh, you know, four weeks or so. And, and uh, we're, we're, you know, we're anxiously, into, uh, we're anticipating uh, that Joint Commission revisit and uh, you know, ready for them to show up any point at this, at this time. So um, I, I think, you know, there, there are some additional expenses that, that have resulted from that survey, but uh, it, it speaks to, uh, you know, some of the larger framework issues that we've talked about in the past. You know, this is all related to, uh, you know, some of our deferred maintenance and some of our, you know, challenges with, uh, you know, uh, limited capital and limited uh, funding. And so, you know, we had to, uh, you know, address some of those issues. And so that's resulted in additional expenditures, but, uh, but it's really positioning us in a much better way. And so we're trying to do that in a, again, very responsible way and trying to offset it as much as possible with efficiencies and other ways to uh, leverage, you know, our resources. Great, thank you. Okay, we look forward to your revamped report. And uh, now we'll move on to uh, B3 post-EPIC go live finance update. And that's back to Kim. Okay. And since I've already shared several of these slides with you, we should be able to do this a lot faster too. Right. All right, so this is the revenue cycle management report. And this is the stabilization dashboard. And I uh, typically just focus on a, a couple of things um, with you, mostly uh, the payments and how much is in-house. Um, but I have to uh, tell you that although this looks pretty bad, on, you know, if you look at the, uh, all of the metrics with the exception of the two at the bottom and coding, because coding, you know, they've been just stellar since day one. Um, I need to tell you that this really isn't telling you the whole story. 
our average daily revenue has dropped substantially and it skews these uh, statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you a, an idea of the magnitude, in um, March, our chart, our average daily revenue is $8.6 million. Um, in April, it was 7.8 dropping, right? And then May, 7.1 and June, 6.9. Yeah. So as your average daily revenue drops, your denominator drops and it makes everything look worse. So at first, I didn't really want to change anything because I didn't want to give people a false sense of security. But what we have done is the bottom two lines there. Uh, the average charge variance and the average payment variance, we have adjusted that for COVID and we actually are better than median now. That is true mathematically, although I think that kind of overstates it. We're probably in the middle. So um, what I can say is we continue to improve. Um, Let's go ahead and go through the slides. So the next slide is... This is the accounts receivable. Um, It's coming up. It really shouldn't because our charges are are going down. We talked about that already. Next slide. This kind of gives you the components of it. What I want to note is that big dip there is when all that cash came in. So that was was great. We got all that money in and our AR went down and now it's been kind of coming up even though our charges are, are going down. And next slide. So here's a problem, right? Um, The line going across shows that um, over 39% is over 90 days. And and this is what I would normally see as a typical thing that you monitor, monitor, uh, even though we have a different uh, metric in our financial presentation. Um, So where would we like that to be? We would actually like it to be best practice around 20%, not 39%. So that tells you, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, Next slide, please. We already saw this. We can skip it. Here on the charging, I just want to point out that... um, our charges, the green line, is lower than the claims sent out. So we're getting a backlog of claims out the door. That's what we want to see. It's, mm-hmm. it's taken us a long time and it's painful, but it's happening. Uh, next slide. Here's the payments. We already saw this one, so we can skip it. And here's the CFB. So this is where we, you know, we're spending lots and lots of effort to get these claims out the door. We're still not in the in the guide rails of Epic, so we still have work to do. And if you look at these items here that are driving it up, the first item is care management. Uh, these are items that require supervisor reviews. So there's something wrong, and it's being directed to the supervisor's work queue. And supervisor is one person and this is a you know a lot of claims to go through i don't want to beat them up too much because they've improved substantially so you know we've had uh, many work sessions with them we got on the phone with ucsf we compared care coordination workflow and epic a lot of work has happened and there is huge improvement here even though um, the top items 
the first one, the third one, and the sixth one all relate to care coordination, so it's a big dollar amount. Um, that second one there, um, those are uh, ED accounts that are still being reviewed. We're still looking at 100% of level, uh, level four and level five, and we're auditing the lower levels. So there's always going to be some in there as long as we feel like we need to do that work. If we felt like, you know, we didn't need to do that work, we could just let them go. So that's, there's always going to be an amount there as long as we, you know, choose to, to uh, continue that practice. Kim, which ones did you say were related to care coordination? One, three, and? Yeah, one, uh, three says revenue integrity, but it has yeah. to do with getting the approval for the days, getting them covered. Okay. So it really is a care coordination thing. And then you go okay. down bed days table that's care coordination so you know they still are sticking out here um, um, quite I mean, that's a almost that's almost 20 million dollars related to care coordination is that what we're saying yep and but it was even higher than that I mean this has dropped a lot in the last several weeks so they they have they're really working hard on it so I don't want to beat them up badly So any more questions on that? Okay, so here's, so then, okay, so we got all those claims out the door and then did we skip through? Maybe we, this was probably the next one. This is the claim edits. This is the fact that we did the, the big bang and we did, we switched from um, DSG to change health at the same time we went live with Sapphire. And so we hadn't set up the systems with our new intermediary and we've done a lot of work. We're still a little high, but we've brought it down to something reasonable. Uh, still some work to do. Next slide. This is where our issue is now. And this is the focus of our attention. This is the denials. We got all those claims out. It was painful. And then now we got all of these denials. But before everybody just goes, oh my gosh, you know, this, this could mean huge write-offs. I just want to point out that the largest item on there is $60 million and it's a duplicate claim. And it's not a denial. It's, it's a technical um, problem that we need to fix. It's something in our build. Something isn't working right. We got to figure it out and fix it. Um, and the top item on there, the 24.3, that's something missing on the claim. Again, we need to figure out what that is and get the claim out the door. That's a little more um, problematic because there's time limits on that. So those we have to prioritize. Um, if you wanted to, if you were going to ask me, okay, Kim, I get it. There's a lot of cleanup. You're doing stabilization. Where, what items on here are we at risk for? It would be the 197 there, payment, um, no um, pre-certification author notification, the 4.6. That I would say is at risk. That means that we didn't get what we needed to get done while that person was in house. Um, not to beat up on on care coordination, but. Not always, but most of those probably relate to, to that group. Um, and again, they're improving their workflow. Uh, so we should see less and less of that kind of denial. But if you just were going to ask me in this list, where would I go first as you know a potential uh, hit financially to us, that would be it. So, so Kim, uh, just uh, kind of looking at this, I mean, 
just my back to the napkin, this, you know, this is, looks like about 160, 165 million bucks right there. Um, what percentage of this do you think we would be able to to retain to get? Or is that is that is that an impossible question? Well, we're actually looking at it. I'll, I'll get a report um, tomorrow. Or, yeah, tomorrow Friday. Uh, from my team on on what's at risk, we're doing. Uh, the Vecchio specifically asked for you know that information, so we'll have yeah. that together for him tomorrow. Yeah. But think about it this way, though: those first two items there are likely not denials at all, right? Yeah. So you got to take you know uh, half of it, half of the yeah. 160, 100, 100, It's gone immediately, right? Yeah. Uh, and the rest of it is probably a mix, and I will know more because they are drilling down and really trying to understand it and prioritize. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I want to tell you is that um, we look like on this slide, we were like at eight point, maybe eight or so. We jumped all the way up to 9.2, and then today we're at 8.1. So we're bringing this down, and we're bringing it down pretty fast. So this is the focus. Um, Jeff, I appreciate the, uh, the question, though, uh, um, uh, because you're, you're, you're astutely pointing out that, uh, or catching that these are charges, not actual um, uh, payments uh, that right. we would expect. Oh, uh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I that, that. that I think is a part of what you're asking. So, what, what as a general rule of thumb, and this is very crude, so I yeah. wouldn't uh, use this as a basis for any sort of final determination, but, but effectively, our collection percentage is what you should apply. So. Across okay, all so of our six, AR, if you so said 16.2, there, there you go, 16 okay. percent of that. And again, it may be that you know a lot of this is actually more collectible because it depends on kind of what the mix is in terms of services, uh, which payers. Um, these are denials, so they're not a just a clean reflection of the full sample of, of charges. So uh, it could be that they are. Um, a lower percentage of that total collection uh, ratio because they've already gone through and we've sifted out what was easily collectible, or it could be that is higher because uh, with some very focused effort, we could pull this up. But if you just wanted to ask crudely, because I think yeah. that's the only way you could do something like this, I would say just run 16% of it and say, we're roughly talking about, you know, whatever that number is. as the Yeah, so dollars roughly made. 26 mil or so. It gets, if, if, it gets if, considerably if, smaller. Yeah, yeah, it, get, it gets considerably smaller. Yeah, 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 it does. And then when you factor in that some of these aren't really denials. Exactly. <laughs> and the other thing is, uh, and so what you see on the kind of the uh, dotted lines here with the colors, uh, uh, obviously, is that uh, you will have every organization is expected to have some level of, of, of denial. So even if we were to say 16 percent of uh, you know this number at any point in time, you're working denial. So you're, we're, we're not going to get this number down to zero at any point in time because your AR is still moving. Right. Uh, yeah. So, so if if best in class is half of where we are, or maybe a little less than half, and let's say we're talking about twenty something million in net, uh, then we're probably talking about half of that as like a running number that we would actually be pulling in if we were performing okay. effectively. And and so thank you for that for that clarification. And then my question sort of was migrating the other way. With, oh, I'm sorry, in a related way. How much energies are we putting into this work effort, which has a potential yield? You know, and I know ten million bucks is a lot of money, or whatever math we do. Are are we are we putting in a ton of effort to squeeze water from stone? Would you have a better utility of your people? And this is just a question to you, Kim and and Dovecchio. I mean, is it, where do we kind of cut bait on 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 this and say, man, 
you're putting in so much energy for this and we're extracting, you know, $2 million. And I, and I know not that we should leave $2 million on the table, but is there a better allocation of our people? And I don't know the answer. I'm just asking. Uh, we, we, we need to stabilize Epic. So we've got okay. to fix this. We, this is unacceptable. Yes, so no. we've got to, we've got to um, figure out why, we've, why duplicate claims are going out. That should not happen. Uh, yeah. That is not right. Yeah. And why are we lacking information on a claim? You know, normally there's edits that if you know that would stop something from going out the door if it was missing something that was critical. Yeah. So you know, a lot of this is just us getting through this implementation. And yeah. The bill. So it's I would I would totally agree with that. It's it's uh it's a tough question to answer because it's so all over the map and it's yeah I get it. Of, the learning curve, basically, and the learning curve and the continuous improvement of uh, when you, you know, the den denials is probably like the third filter of um, of the claims that happen because um, we filter them before we get them out. Right. And go through a, a fiscal intermediary or a claims um, uh, adjudicator that then they have to get through their filter. Then they get to a plan and now the plan has put it through their filter and all those different things result in this number. So each of them, though, present uh, opportunities for us to take that lesson and um, um, uh, revise the system or revise the training that would uh, um, reduce the likelihood that this error would occur again or with the same frequency. And the good I really is, want to appreciate what, uh, Kim, I, I want to appreciate what you said about getting this right and, and, and it being the implementation because we, you know, we made this huge investment in Epic. We want this thing to work for the next several years. So even if it seems like Taft, you know, that you're chasing something small down, I think, yeah, building the right system totally makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and, yeah. and then how my thinking is going, this, this, this relates to Trustee Shaquin's last uh, finance meeting where he says, we have to give our finance team the right tools to do this stuff. So I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to, in my mind, try to do a break even. You know, if this is, does does Kim need 4 million bucks, you know, to get this done, to get it done right? If, you know, the break even on uh, on giving her more people or whatever she does to, to recoup that amount in the short term and then set up the infrastructure over the long term. So that's what I'm just sort of wondering about what, what Kim needs based resourced out of what this is is are, kim are you allocating your people doing something chasing down that needs to be chased down but man that's sucking up a lot of energy and it won't necessarily give us a long-term payoff question mark yeah so it sounds so to me though i mean i guess what um i mean we're nine months in right to the implementation um, and just like Kim was saying earlier, like we can't even say the impact of telehealth fiscally because we have to wait literally uh, yeah, 60 days, 90 days, a cycle, and then each payer has its own thing. So in our, in our nine months of implementation, everything's turned upside down. Payers have made things different. I mean, we're getting reimbursed now for telehealth differently than we would have before, and we've had to change our whole model of service delivery, like on the outpatient side, basically overnight. It's like all these things are happening at once. Um, but I think what, what I'm getting is that this is really an infrastructure building still period yeah. of, you know, and all these places along the way, you know, whether it's our own edits internally, whether it's at the clearinghouse level, whether it's the, the denial and the follow-up process there, like what, all those catches that we have to make along the way and, and everything is a different cycle. And then the, with the different payers, it's all different. So it all still seems like, um, 
infrastructure building. So hopefully some of this, we're still, hopefully we're still capitalizing some of this um, in terms of the expenses on um, building. I don't know, but. Um, we wish. Uh, we, we, uh, the project, once, you, once you go live, <laughs> to go live, you only have a small runway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had, I think we had like three, three months of, um, uh, it's funny, audit, audit and compliance is next. So uh, they will tell you, uh, we, we check with the auditors, like what can you continue to capitalize in your costs for go live? And we had about three months that we could. So that, uh, that ended in January. But everything you said is spot on, I think. Um, uh, the only thing I would layer on top of that is um, uh, something that Kim mentioned in her CFO report. Well, two things. One is this is not all Kim's team. The rev cycle is everybody. So it's, right. it's doctors, it's care managers, it's uh, it's anybody who is interacting with the patient that has to drop a charge. So so it's a lot of people learning how to use this system more efficiently. So it does certainly uh, uh, fall to her team to facilitate the effort and make sure people are are doing their part of it. But it's 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 so diffuse an effort across the board. It's a retraining. It's a understanding of all this, uh, all the various. Uh, players to be uh, improving their performance here. And because of that, the second thing, whether it's in her team or, or the other folks are, she was saying we benefited from the fact that uh, through the pandemic, we didn't have a, uh, or at least the early stages so far, we haven't had a surge. Uh, and so we didn't have to backfill uh, places. Part of that was not just a benefit of not having that, but we were challenged in some cases in being able to find uh, backfill within a reasonable amount of time. And so like in the case of finance and other areas where people were out, um, it's tough to backfill somebody, teach them the system, and then have them do the work. Uh, uh, that is, it, that's just going to be really difficult to do. And she's nodding because I pressured her to see, like, can we move this forward faster? Like, what what resources do you need? And it's like, it's just not, it just, it doesn't work that way. So we're trying to keep working with the team we have, keep moving things forward, um, uh, bring people back, and try to move this faster. She has a new VP who started a few weeks ago, and as she said, we're we're we're, we're starting to see progress in this area. It's going to take a while but as joe was saying it's the right thing to do because at the end of the day we have to get this to function properly and we are having the success you saw the payments staying up during the period where they should have uh, tanked uh, because we're we are catching these uh, uh getting these bills out and, and collecting these dollars uh but we still just uh, want to be very transparent that we have quite a ways to go still and what what i'd like to do when you know once we get things stabilized is you know, in denials, I'm used to reporting based on maybe, you know, uh, controllable and uncontrollable denials. Like, yeah. controllable denial might be a medical necessity denial that we, you know, we should have caught, right? And then reporting it based on its um, net value, what we actually lost, not gross charges. But it, all of that has to be built in our, in Epic, in the, in the reporting. So we got a ways to go. There's still lots of things to do, but we will get there. We will. Are we uh, ready to There's go There's just on? a couple more. Go ahead and advance the slide. We'll go to PB real quick. Really, it's the denials. Why don't you just go right to the denials because we're doing better on everything <laughs> and except the denials. Oh, I stop right there. On the pre-AR there, I do want to say something about that. So the pre-AR jumped up and that, you know, I told you we've been doing better, 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 better. That jumped up because telehealth, we had to review every single charge to make sure we had the appropriate documentation before it left. So that is why it went up and then it's come back down. So I just, I'll just, I'll just point that out. Uh, next slide. Uh, these are the edits. We're doing great. Next slide. 
uh, here's the denials. So uh, again, the same story with PB. Um, I also want to point out um, we're now at 9.5. So we've dropped that down substantially, uh, just that's what it is today anyway. But it's the same story there. We just got to, you know, figure out, you know, what's happening. Here we did it by financial class. Why we didn't do it by the other code, I don't know. We could do it either way. So they probably just picked a financial class for this one. Uh, and then I'll go on to my comments. Next slide. Um, so telehealth underway. We talked about that. Drive through visits. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're, you know, working through the COVID response while we're trying to stabilize Epic. Um, we're offboarding the Epic support because we want to get full control of the AR. And we also have the big Epic upgrade right on top of this, which is impacting the responsiveness of IT. Next slide. Um, so we have our new leader, Terry Manifesto. She comes from us most recently from El Camino Hospital. She also uh, worked for Sutter and Marin when they went on, went live with Epic. So this is her third, if you will, uh, install in Epic. Um, I'm really excited to have her here. Um, I'm already seeing a, a difference just because she knows her way in Epic and she knows how to get to stuff that and what it means where somebody else might not know. Uh, it's just, it's, uh, it's great to have her. So she started 6-1, so she's been here just really uh, not a lot, not a long time yet. Um, I found an interim revenue integrity director and they're supposed to start on 622. Um, why that's so important, I want to bring you back to, to Delvecchio's comment that the revenue cycle is not just the back end folks or patient registration. It is all the folks that are charging for services done in all of our um, places we provide care. So we uh, lost our leader um, early on in the process. I didn't feel comfortable um, bringing on someone without a lot of experience with the workflow in an epic environment. And we finally found someone and they're gonna start on 622. They are interim. I only want them here for six months, but I want them here really to um, work with operations to, to make sure we're doing things like census balancing that we're doing our charge reconciliation, that we've got policies in place, and that we've got solid procedures for staff to follow. So I think if we've got somebody that's really good, and I think she will be, to get that done uh, before the end of the year, we should uh, uh, be in a really good place um, throughout the whole revenue cycle. Because if garbage in, garbage out, right? Got to get it in right the first time. That's right. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited that I found both these people. I think it'll make a huge different difference. And we're continuing to track. And in fact, uh, now we're doing it at the supervisor level. Um, and it's not just revenue cycle people. And we're still doing it twice a week. It's like uh, it's it's one and a half hours uh, Tuesday and Thursday just on the you know action list. And then there's meetings going on all the time trying to figure out what's going on and clean things up. So. Um, that's, those are my comments. If anybody has any questions, otherwise I'm finished. Kim, how big is your revenue cycle side of the shop in terms of FTE and how many bodies do you have? 
do, and question and, and the downstream, do you have enough bodies? Um, I think I have enough bodies. Um, typically what happens with an EPIC uh, implementation like this is you start out, you need, you know, lots. And then over time, as you get things streamlined, you get your clean claims rate up, then you need fewer people in the future. Um, so I think we're adequately staffed. I don't have those numbers off the top of my head. Um, I can. I mean, the ballpark, are we talking like 100 people or are we talking like, and, and well, if you don't know, that's okay. Well, uh, I don't know, but at, you know, patient okay. registration is 24 seven at four hospitals. Okay. So that's you know, going to be a huge okay. number of bodies. Um, but the revenue cycle team, oh, I'm trying to think I, I'd, I'd be guessing. There's, yeah, okay. there's no, no big deal. Just wondering. I don't know. I guess, I guess Luis or somebody else knows too. They that's been around longer. I don't know. I, no. I guess my question uh, relates, you know, because I, I, I work here is I've been I've worked in some systems where there was a model that was there were sort of like embedding revenue cycle people into the clinical units and 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 so that so that the work was happening more in real time uh, and and as opposed to coming back to the central clearinghouse and then catching it, you know, two, three, five a week later, um, you know, um, yes. uh, w way back when, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I was uh, interviewing to be uh, the chief of a big uh, county hospital, Parkland Hospital, where I train. And uh, when I went to interview there, they we talked about revenue cycle. The division alone had three revenue cycle people in the division alone embedded within the division because they knew about the value of endoscopy and bringing money and the like and they said they were having discussions with their with their clinicians on an every other daily basis and it just sort of makes me wonder it was so much more real time rather than than uh than a report coming out a month later oh sh oh stink we're, we're we're behind we didn't see that we didn't click that report and now now it's aged 30 days and we have to go back and try to retrieve it it's so it's so much more Difficult. So I know that's a completely different different model, and I'm just suggesting us to think about how how we've how we've gotten to where we are. Is it a function of our structure? Is it the people? It's probably all of this. And uh, I'm, I just I I wonder about other models for revenue integrity. Actually, that is our model. Okay. Okay. Um, we have some work to do. That that is what revenue integrity does. They they uh, they go and they make sure that we have processes in place to capture charges at the front end. And that's what, what Epic was built to do. So um, I, I guess it was about December when I realized that we really didn't have that workflow established. Um, we attempted to do so um, early on in the, in, the, in the implementation of Sapphire. We had a chart and we said, who's responsible in all of these clinical areas to do the charge reconciliation? And it, the, the information was coming back to chairs. And, you know, I'm going, no way. You know, it's got to yeah. be somebody somebody else needs to be doing this work. You don't want the chair the, doing this work, the, right? The clinical chairs? Yeah. Was, your, was the response to you? That's what uh, came I, back originally. Uh, so then, so then now we've been, we've, my revenue integrity person, Pam, has a spreadsheet. And she's been going to each department and trying to figure out who is the lay person that does this work, the administrative type person that does that work. And so I know we have a gap and the fact that you're making these comments just affirms that we have that gap and we need to fix it. So, so what I recommend, you know, we have actually a, um, a, a 
we, we, we don't have a lot of items on our future agendas to, to look at. seems like this would be a good conversation to have a couple months out once we get beyond the budget to give some more detail about um, how we're doing things now. And, what are, and Kim, particularly, what, what are your plans for moving us to a more efficient, effective system uh, per EPIC and so forth? Uh, but now I want to move us actually to um, a discussion. That's okay. Sounds like it. Okay. Uh, item C, a discussion on the FY, you know, that budget thing, FY 2021 uh, budget draft progress towards that draft opportunities to close. So when, when I had a conversation with uh, – uh, Del Vecchio and, and Kim about this, we thought, um, well, I just want to remind everyone where we're at. So we've been in the middle of a pandemic and staff is in sort of a crisis survival command control. And they were literally in a cave for a while um, <laughs> doing their play, their response, um, which, you know, by the way, thank goodness, because I think we were very ready and, and uh, it, it, staff did a pretty incredible job of responding to the crisis at hand, but we're not out of it yet, and we, yet we still have to do a budget. So we're kicking the budget out. Uh, the you know it, we're, we're not going to be approving a budget in June. Uh, we'll be rolling that over, uh, the current budget over a month or, or so. We still have to make a decision about that. And uh, in July, hopefully, we will be able to uh, get to a comfortable level of information where we can uh, – move on a budget, but what I wanted to do, and, and him and Del Vecchio uh, uh, were in agreement with this, is to at least kick off the conversation more specifically about what would go into the budget and hear from some of the trustees, at least in this committee, um, about what um, our preferences might be in the way of a budget. So we have a little, so Kim and Del Vecchio are going to take us through a little uh, report here. I'd, I'd ask you to remember that you want to hear some feedback from us. So make it as brief as you can, um, and I'll hand it over to you. Do that. So um, I, I, I um, just have a small claim to authorship, but it really, uh, as most things, was not my work. So I'm going to turn it over to Kim to walk us through quickly. Um, so, uh, Louis, I, I was thinking you were going to kind of talk about this slide here. Uh, this sure. So, so this is a way, this is sort of the compromise. It, it, I'm just going to be very transparent about this. So staff is really not at a place to provide us a lot of specifics yet. And, uh, you know, I guess we could push them to do that. But, uh, you know, they're being uh, honest that, they can't provide us that yet, and it, it uh, wouldn't be a really helpful conversation. So the compromise uh, uh, is to uh, look at a chart like this where you have um, a, some ideas for how we might get to some cost savings. I believe they're all cost savings. Um, uh, mostly not all. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, not, they're, they're not all. Not all. Most yeah. There's some uh, some revenue enhancement as well, and so um, on on one axis you have impact, uh, how much we would either create in revenue or save in expenses, 
And then on the other axis, we have effort, how much it would uh, cost us in, in having to, to work towards that. So this chart represents uh, the ideas that senior leadership is now vetting very carefully. Um, and, you know, they have a process that isn't, doesn't just involve the C-suite. They're involving uh, various uh, leadership uh, elements throughout the whole system. And these are what's coming up right now, at least, as uh, the, the greatest opportunities. And you'll see um, when you look at this that there, um, you know, there's sort of the low-lying fruit, which is low effort, high impact. And so that's a good hint that those will probably be items that will come forward to us unless there's some value reason why we wouldn't want that. And I think that's the way to think about uh, that side. The high effort, high impact uh, box is, you know, um, a challenging one because, you know, it's uh, one of my observations from going through last year's cycle. Uh, we had a quite a bit of aspiration around uh, revenue collection. And if you look at the, if you look at your packet, um, just a reminder, we're still off of a lot of our goals in, in uh, trying to enhance revenue. Uh, within programs, we'd hoped we do a lot better, but life is does what it does. So, you know, that's a, a question in these whether um, that would exist. Um, whether these are, you know, if you have high effort, then you may have stumbling that goes on and may not get there. Um, and then the other two are sort of. Uh, you know, low effort, low impact. The question, of course, then for us is going to be, is it even worth it? Because what you get back isn't worth enough. Um, and then <laughs> the opposite of low-lying fruit is high effort, low impact, where you just wonder if um, it's worth the pain for the low response. So in looking at this, are there questions? Are there, and again, just keeping in mind that staff's not ready to get into a great amount of detail. Um, I, I pushed him when I chatted at a conference call with him about, uh, can you quantify these three? Cause I like these three and, and they're not ready to do that. So keep that in mind, but do you have questions or thoughts about where yeah, I do? Go? I do too. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, first of all, all of obviously, <clears throat> obviously let's write off the low effort, low impact, high effort, low impact. Let's just yeah. like take the bottom line and not even deal with it for right now. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, it, when you, when you put a chart, <laughs> when, when you put it like this, obviously we want to go for the low hanging fruit. I, I guess the question is the, um, the upper right quadrant, the high effort, high impact, um, th that seems to be the, the margin. Like, that seems to be the area that's going to, uh, be the most important to focus on because obviously we want you to do the low effort, high impact stuff. Like that, that sounds like a no brainer. So it's really that upper right quadrant that we need to focus on. Yep. Right. Um, and so I see things like no cola increase. I assume the effort there has to do with labor negotiations. Yeah. Um, and the impact I assume is probably one of the largest, um, uh, uh, length of stay management. I mean, we've been working on that and throughput for a long time. Uh, so that should be part of our, 
over. I mean, that, that's something we're always doing, right? Um, so I guess maybe a little more, a little more talk about that upper quadrant is where I'd like to see our attention focus for this uh, next couple of minutes. Okay. Well, I, if, if I can, if I can jump in here on number mm -hmm. seven, I think I think that's a that's an area where if we could get Medicare reimbursement for the PES, it's going to be a big number. Now, not all the folks that go there are seriously mentally ill, but for the seriously mentally ill, thirty to thirty-five percent of them have Medicare. Okay. So it's it this you know even if it was twenty five percent of the population we're talking a big number. Yeah, I guess um, maybe I have a question and then a comment or concern. Um, the effort and the impact are these quantifiable? I mean, are these just finance indicators that are really more about expense and revenue, or is it more complicated? I think it's more complicated. Tony, you want to say something about labor? Uh, actually, before he chimes in, let me let me just say, for the most part, it's exactly what you you uh, uh, laid out, Trustee Chiquin. It was mostly um, uh, an idea to kind of you know, with these two by two grids, you're you're simplifying the reality to begin with, and it was just a way of trying to reflect that uh, reality in what is admittedly an overly simplistic way. And in this case, uh, impact really was mostly financial, uh, but in some areas, uh, we recognize, and this gets to the point about a values-driven sort of uh, construct, that um, impact uh, could be um, substantial in other sorts of ways. Impact could be substantial in terms of, or uh, vetted in terms of uh, staff engagement, overall morale for the organization, quality, um, quality, uh, uh, patient experience, um, any number of factors that it, when you start to try to factor all of them in, then you're not really doing a two by two grid anymore. You're back to well, or you change the two by, and that's where I was going with it. So thank you for kind of this, this should be three D or something. I don't know, but but basically, I mean, because I think what I get concerned about is that we're doing the same thing that I think we felt we didn't want to repeat from our, I, I want to caution us not to do yes. the same thing we did last year was with, to just put a financial frame on it um, and therefore have the conversation in a vacuum um, as opposed to, I mean, if effort and impact could be distilled down, I don't know that it can into just the finance part, then it really does not need to be a two by two. That's a dot. That's a dot here. Yeah. And then the other axis would be impact in terms of quality, morale, all, all the things that you just mentioned in terms of um, mission impact, I guess, yeah. um, or just overall um, impact on the system. And so, um, but, and I think it sounds like you've quasi done that a little bit, um, which is good because then we're like part of the way there. But I mean, to go straight to number seven, like, like uh, Trustee Peterson did, you know, that is something I think actually a few things in this upper right quadrant, um, assisting health pack people to get onto Medi-Cal is a huge uh, benefit, um, you know, for people to have expanded benefits in life, right. period, right? And I so totally agree with that. Yeah, and like knowing what's going on in the world right now and that a lot of people are going to, you know, like we're going to have more, we think, more el Medi-Cal eligible people and then also moving people from health pack to Medi-Cal and also, um, you know, being able to tap into Medicare, um, for our vulnerable patients that need um, psychiatric services and making sure that we're getting that we're not we're, we're not leaving a research source on the table and I don't pretend to know a fraction of what Trustee Peterson knows about that part but these all seem mission aligned too so I guess I would love to be able to 
um, you know, look at it from the mission impact and the financial impact to whatever extent possible. And it seems like we're getting there. Um, but I think that helps ground the decision-making as we go forward. Yeah, I think uh, from a, from a, thank you for that. From a mission perspective, uh, my, uh, um, sort of understanding of the conversation so far is exactly to your point. We've actually tried to take any of those sorts of things that would be, let's say, mission misaligned or mission compromising mm-hmm. off the table. So none of these things, as far as I can think about from a mission perspective, would be concerning like the things we were doing last year or putting forward to you last year, like, you know, we're struggling and we're struggling substantial enough. Do you want to look at whether you continue uh, um, PES services or whether you continue uh, um, labor and delivery services. I don't think any of them fall from a mission perspective that way. Now, the bigger pieces really are around whether there may be some considerations of impact to, again, patient, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, staff engagement, uh, which, you know, arguably some individuals could say then, then that actually has a mission impact too. So you say to uh, um, a, a person, who is represented by uh, you know a labor union that I'm 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 talking about not doing a cola increase for you next year and someone says well your your mission is to serve the community I'm a part of the community and you know uh, I, I represent a diverse population and you're basically stymieing my my income that's going to hurt my ability to earn a living that's going to hurt our ability to serve the community so it's a little bit tangential but I think it's not that direct sort of thing that you that we were trying to avoid from last year so we tried to distill these down to ones that um, um, we wouldn't have anything that wouldn't have any sort of, you know, it's it's a no-brainer, go get it, because it, it wouldn't be worth the conversation. We would just do it. We tell you what we're working on and what we think it is. But, um, but I think all of these, um, uh, if we wanted to, we knew that we couldn't talk about all of these, and we can talk about some of these as much as time will allow. Uh, um, but because of the nuances of each of them, I don't think it would lend itself to us kind of then putting it on a, a grid that would would let you see that this is the reason why it's here versus there. You still have to have that kind of a conversation. Uh, but I think we could do that um, uh, with the, the way that we've laid it out here with your understanding, unless you see something here that's problematic for you, uh, just uh, easily problematic. Uh, um, I don't think we put forward anything that has a mission, a, a very like clear mission issue that you'd have. No, to I agree. And I appreciate that I'm, I, very much, believe me. Sure. <laughs> this wouldn't be as painful. I'm not, I guess my only issue is nothing on here in particular being, being not mission or more mission, but a framework to be able to to say those things, like whether that's now or on a go forward basis. So I don't know if this gets, if if everything here gets us there, great. If we have to start adding things and we don't have a way other than what we've said is a financial impact to, to weigh things out as trustees, I think that's where it gets hard. Um, Totally agree. And, and actually what we, so, so to that point, uh, thank you for saying it. We don't know whether this gets us there, whatever, wherever the there is at this juncture. What we're saying is right now, we're not, we're, we're at a negative, I think it's negative, you'll see it on the next slide, like negative $30 million deficit uh, for the budget. Um, um, and these are the things that we are exploring to figure out what the financial uh, uh, opportunity is, negative 32. Uh, and that sets aside all the other stuff uh, from the cash flow perspective that rolls up into that bigger thing that you'll see, I think, on the next slide there. But let's go back, Mike, to the other one, because uh, Kim will mention this in just a second. Uh, actually, we're probably going to run out of time, and this sort of gets to 
yeah. just the reality of kind of where we are right now, which is that, um, um, you know, we, we did the retreat. We talked about everything we were working on there. We want to give you an update on uh, things as they are moving, some in a favorable direction, some in a not so favorable, some that are mixed, like uh, Kim was saying earlier. The reason we're at 32 now versus the 22 we were at before is because we got $14 million this year that we can't count next year. So the budget uh, for next year, which we're going to talk about now, went down by $14 million. Helped us How this about year. that? Won't, uh, will hurt us next year. Yeah. So... Uh, the point here being, uh, we are going through all of this. As we bring it forward to you in a proposal, we will say to you, you know, we're able to get from that negative 30 to zero. And the zero is comprised of length of stay management, no COLA increase, um, uh, and then pick up you from the other categories. Uh, all of category one and maybe uh, uh, one or two from uh, category, uh, the lower left-hand quadrant with not, without doing anything in the fourth one. Um, and then we'll tell you that. But if you, if you, the county and others, say we need to do more, that's, I think it's going to be a tough conversation, honestly, because I, I, I feel like the construct I'm trying to uh, um, lay out for you all and appreciating and i'll share with you that we're internally grappling with this because there's differences of opinion here uh we want to produce a positive margin we want to do it at the pace that allows the balance with quality where it allows uh that balances uh um all of the challenges we've had around staff engagement and other things knowing that none of this will avoid any of that stuff and if we do all of this stuff we're not going to get to that negative 200 and something million uh, that that keeps us compliant with the net negative balance. So my argument is we we don't even try, uh, quite honestly, because I don't think that would be realistic to do. And basically, unless you're shutting down, you know, significant parts of the organization uh, and then why bother? Uh, uh, and then two, uh, we're going to need to invest in capital uh, for the organization uh, that is significantly deferred and it's likely to exceed any money that uh, uh, any free cash flow that we will we will be able to achieve for the organization. And so the point will be uh, a question between that conversation you were saying earlier to follow up with the county. What do you want to do? Uh, if the organization needs this and we understand that it's going to exceed this construct, do we change the construct? Do we alter it? Do, what do we do? Because the organization is expressing and demonstrating a need for it. We are not, I don't believe, as I sit here today, going to come back to you a month from now saying we balanced the budget, we found all the dollars and we can produce, we can predict being compliant with the net negative balance. We won't do that first and foremost because of the permanent agree or the prior year balance uh, that has to be paid, but also because of the capital. So I don't think we're going to get there, but I think we'll get better than where we are right now. Right. So let's have you go through in a moment where some more details on the next slide around where we next slides and where we uh, likely need to get. Um, but before we do that, I have two comments and maybe other trustees have comments that are more value statements. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I want to echo um, President Abelada's comment about last year. I think the learning from that is we were trying to figure out how to balance a budget and tried to do it within underperforming programs. Um, I do think we need to have programs right-sized so they're not losing money. Um, but uh, I'll just say for me, I think our services are so essential that uh, particularly now with uh, 
us moving into a massive recession that is disproportionately impacting people of color, I'm not really interested in looking at cutting uh, programs. Um, having said that, so what, what choice do we have left? I'm also not interested, to your point, DeVecchio, about the values response from an employee. I think we should do our very best to try to protect um, people's jobs. And uh, quite frankly, a no-cola approach is actually a way to uh, realize greater strength around uh, avoidance of, of layoffs. Agreed. Yeah. So I think for us, what we'll be saying, obviously, is there, there's only, in some of these cases, is there's a lot of it that's um, either exclusively or predominantly within our control. Uh, in others, there'll be things that are only partially within our control, like the, the COLA piece. You know, some of the labor unions, our, our contracts aren't even open with them. So uh, to get them to agree to it may involve opening a contract and getting their agreement on it. And if you don't do it with some unions who don't open a contract, what are you saying if you do it with the other unions where, whose contracts are open, who, who oh, by the way, as you know, are some of the larger ones. Uh, so that that would be something you'd have to contend with, uh, we'd have to contend with. Uh, if you all don't end up doing it with unions at all and you only do it with underrepresented workforce, uh, which, by the way, you know, for the last uh, two years, that's all we've done. We've actually uh, held uh, uh, increases for uh, uh, for the, uh, the executive team, uh, and unrepresented folks for the last two years here. So so that's that's yet another thing. And it ends up being like, really small value uh, in terms of actually closing your gap. The other thing, even with the Medicare piece for um, um, behavioral health, uh, that requires the county actually uh, allowing us to do it because they have to agree that, um, that uh, we are not, uh, we're no longer a, um, a, uh, what is it? The uh, crisis stabilization unit. Yeah. Yeah. Which then allows us to build, but then that creates a different construct for how, John George is operated in terms of flow for uh, if there is a crisis stable unit, crisis stabilization unit designation, so we can keep getting short dole and other pieces. And if there's a true PES model where we can build Medicare, I'm not actually sure we put it there, but we're not sure what the Delta is. The Delta could be, I think from the Torion uh, work that we did with the county, it's probably going to be somewhere around, you know, uh, upper single digit millions uh, I don't think it's actually a lot more than that, but that's not insignificant when we look at the fact that we're still losing money in John George. So, so that would be my my other comment that I would make from a from an observation from last year's experience that we should be you know very uh, steel eyed about um, what we're actually going to get from uh, expect you know budget uh, line items uh, whether it's revenue enhancement or expense savings. The COLA uh, uh, example you gave um, would be a good one. I mean, we better. We probably should do the math on how likely it is to realize that savings and how broadly we're able to, to realize it. And, and, and you know, that's why we're, we're not ready to give it to you now because we're, it's, it's pretty complicated to do all that, but we're doing, that's what we're doing right now. Exactly. So that, and I, but I will make the point. Just um, I hate to put the pressure on you, but I, I think the the challenge is we need to do this as quickly as possible because every day after July first is part of the next fiscal year. Yep, those are those are days we lose um, opportunity if we haven't realized the savings. 
Oh, to totally agree. Totally agree. And it's not for, uh, um, um, please don't, it's not for lack of trying. It's, uh, no. we are pursuing a lot of these things at of the course. same time and trying to get them uh, to the point where we can put them forward for you. But uh, your point is well taken. Yeah, yeah. And I, I understand that. I'm not, it's not commentary on uh, how well you're doing towards that. It's just, I just feel some urgency about it because it, the choices just get harder. We saw that last year when we delayed our budget approval and it, it will again. Lewis, can I jump in here? I just want to make a comment on, on this, on this idea about like you're, you're, you're citing Nicola as an example. I'm also curious about our contracts and I know we have one more item on our agenda and it's already six o'clock and it's approving some pretty big contracts with doctors basically. And I'm wondering if there's consideration or if consideration was made within those contracts um, for an across the board reduction in, in like the bottom line. Um, because anyway, it, in, the, in that same line of thinking, if we're going to be approving contracts that are um, not taking into account the economic downturn, I think we might be doing ourselves a disservice. Interesting question. Yeah, I think a, a great question. And I think we have, there's two things you have to contend with. One is uh, timing for arrangements and getting things done. So m many of these contracts, uh, including the ones that you'll see today, are ones that have been negotiated uh, for like several months in terms of getting the dollar figures, getting the... Uh, uh, the contract language and all that together for your approval. Uh, obviously, during that period, things happening. So it is quite possible, and I would reflect your point that, yeah, we could say, look, we can't, things have changed and now we need to reflect it differently or, or go back and revisit uh, arrangements that we've made. But that is, that's a two-way street, right? So, so in this case, with the uh, providers involved, they'd have to be willing to say, yeah, no, we get your point, we'll have to do it. Uh, or, oh, okay, so what don't you want to do? You know, it's not necessarily the case that, yeah, uh, uh, that yeah, but, but I'm going I'm, I'm to jump in there. Look, the bottom line with the contract is it's putting money in somebody's pocket at the end of the day. Sure. And if all of us are going to see a little bit less money in our pocket because the global economy crashed due to a pandemic, then all of us should feel that pain. And so whether I'm a doctor, a nurse, or a, or a environmental uh, specialist, you know, everyone's going to feel it. And so oh, I, just, I totally, I totally agree. With it's you. Not, yeah. So I'm, I'm a little worried that we're going to approve some really big, at least one pretty large contract. And I don't know if we've had that frank conversation with those doctors. I mean, I realize UCSF's a great relationship. It's been 20 years or 19 or whatever. I mean, I'm not, I'm not questioning the relationship or the contract process. I'm just because of the new here and now, should we be doing that? Uh, or should those be trimmed back as well? Okay. Given the late hour, let me just push that question, <laughs> really push staff. What, what if we voted tonight to not consider, to delay these approvals? Yeah, I, I, uh, I think the question is a matter of timing. So it depends on where, where, when the current contract ends. Uh, we could probably go into, Mike can answer this, um, um, uh, we could probably go into Holdover or Ira, who's on the call too, uh, right. uh, with the entities. Um, you know, again, it's just a matter of, I, I, we could have the conversation. We can come back to you and say, yeah, we were able to get something. I hope that that would be the case. Or they said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Or yeah, we agree. We have to curtail some services, but we're losing two in our organization. So what do you want to cut out? You know, uh, and, and that may be the reality, but, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And if you want to uh, uh, delay it, if we have the ability to do it without 
incurring some issue in terms of coverage, uh, then then we can we can. Well, look at let's that. get some comment let's on ask the cost of delaying. Ira, can you uh, speak to that for any of the contracts? Uh, of course, Delvecchio, um, uh, for the board. Um, with regards to the contracts before you this evening, I think the one that probably got Trustee DeVries' attention the most was understandably the one for general surgery services from UCSF, given the large dollar value, the $28 million. Um, that yes. contract is technically eligible for holdover under Stark because it is a physician services arrangement. Um, the issue would be, of course, as Delvecchio already alluded, um, whether or not if we went back to UCSF, would they be willing to go lower, for instance, um, and number two, um, what would we be expecting from them that we open it up again? Do they want to change anything else? I would, however, say that realistically, because we have a long relationship that's been very positive, I don't expect any shenanigans, shall we say. Um, I would, however, want to either defer to Dr. J if he were on this call or to circle back with him if we decide to do this afterwards, because um, he was instrumental in discussing with the group, and I wasn't privy to all of those conversations. So I don't know exactly all of the moving parts that represent this $28 million. But we could do a holdover if they were amenable. With regards to the other agreements, which are lower dollar, but you know dollars add up. Royal Ambulance is the second largest, which is 11 million. That agreement is not technically eligible for holdover per se because it is not a physician services agreement. However, under California law, if both parties were willing and we wish to do it, we could continue under the terms of the current agreement under the course of dealing provision, and basically under that the terms of the current service would adhere. But again, they would have to agree. And there were certain concerns that that um, group Royal had um, over the course of the current agreement that led them to really want to get this renewal in place after admittedly several prior extensions. They will be receiving an increase and there are multiple reasons that I believe that is justified and they might be less than amenable to wanting to do further discussions and extensions, um, but we could always ask. The other two are residency agreements. Those have, as you know, a cycle that's academic year-based. They're starting in July, and I'm not really sure what, if anything, we could do to change those at this time. Uh, I really appreciate that, um, and, and I, I certainly see that the ones that are academic year-based, you know, are kind of locked in, and, and they're also the two smallest. And um, I'm getting, I'm guessing, you know, based on my knowledge of how much money residents get paid, <laughs> there's, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's probably not, they're, they're not getting rich there. Um, but you know, for example, with with Royal Ambulance, I mean, the cost of gas, the cost of oil has has tanked. Um, and I imagine that's one of their costs of doing businesses where they're going to be saving some money. Um, and with, with, with UCSF, as you said, I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, my, my, my lefty kind of progressive socialist is starting to come out. And, you know, if I cut the pay of somebody who makes 40 grand a year by 5%, they're having to make some really hard decisions yeah. about what they pay for at their house. Mm -hmm. If I cut the pay of someone who makes $200,000 a year by 5%, you know, those decisions aren't as hard. And, and I, I just think we have to keep that in mind. And so sure. I think it'd be great to, you know, have a conversation with, with UCSF about the surgeons uh, and with, with the ambulance company. Um, yeah, I just, I just think we have to be at that point. If we're going to put things like no coal is on the table, 
And I know that we've frozen the salaries for our for our non-representative for the past couple of years, you know, and it doesn't have a big bang for the buck. And, and But if we're going to talk colas for our biggest labor unions, we should be talking colas for our surgeons, um, which is essentially what we're talking about. Uh, was our CMO trying to get in, Dr. Jamaluddin? Were you trying yeah, to get no, in? No, I just, uh, yeah, I was uh, just uh, commenting on the UCSF uh, contract that this uh, largely, you know, covers the trauma service and it covers uh, general surgery throughout uh, the system. The system. Yeah, so um, I, I haven't, uh, I mean, the, the negotiation uh, really has been very straightforward, uh, and I, I haven't really tried really to cut down, but uh, I can I can certainly look uh, look at it from that from that angle. Okay. Other comments from trustees? You know, I think it's a great discussion about uh, about but which groups do we are do, do we select groups or do we go across the board? I mean, um, you know, we seventy percent of our of our of our whole kit and caboodle is is HR, right? Is is paying for that. That's where we're going to make our biggest moves. I, you know, I, I'm not speaking for all physicians, but I'd say they look for equity as well. You know, and um, uh, so if the organization made a decision to cut across the board, I, I think you could get some people behind that. <laughs> but 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 you know, just to go after this contract, it makes me wonder about strategy, right? Just going after this contract versus. Versus that, and, and Joe, uh, it, I hear it, you. It's, it's timing with this contract because I'm looking through our budget. I'm looking through things last night, and I'm looking at these contracts. And I'm like, wait a minute, it, it's it's timing. It's not just this contract, yeah. right? But this contract is before us tonight. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Yeah, I I, I do have an, uh, a question. If we ask people not to take a cost of living last year and perhaps even the year before that, is it really fair to ask them to? not take a cost of living again for the third time. I, I, I think I think, I think that was well, Silvecchio's point earlier was that the 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 groups that the group that we asked to to, to put uh, Ecola on hold was a very small group two years in a row. And so it doesn't have a big impact on our bottom line, but it does have a bigger impact on their morale. Whereas the larger group uh, of represented employees who who've not been asked for a concession, um, you know, that's where the real impact could be. But that's where the negotiation is much harder because you've got, you know, obviously you're dealing with people who are paid a lot less. Yeah. And so it, it has a greater impact on their bottom line, um, but maybe less of an impact on their morale because they've been getting colas. Uh, you know, and that's uh, that's that's more Tony's domain than mine. You know, Joe, I, I just I, I look at uh, not giving colas as like a, a one shot deal. I don't think it's something that you perpetuate over time. And that, that's just the concern that I have. I mean, is what what happens if you know, people go two or three or four years without an increase? That that's a problem. I, I guess maybe we're agreeing on it. But that's what yeah, I think it's I think it's an excellent point. It, it exemplifies how how deep we're in the hole. Um, over time, uh, this is this isn't getting better. It's getting worse every year, and um, we've tried the simple answers, the low lying fruit. Now we're at the point where it's really the very painful things that we have to consider asking people to do. I really appreciate the equity 
lens that uh, just popped up from Joe on this, because I do think all contracts, everything we do should be looked at um, very carefully in terms of uh, being able to match up to our reality, which is we're a starved institution. And also, we have a starved society. I mean, this pandemic has pulled the curtain back on the inequities that have been existing and profound for years. But we've slumped along with a pretty decent economy or a sort of decent economy. But, you know, the wealthy have gotten wealthier. The upper middle class have seen their, their wages go up. And we've been flatlined for those who are, who are further down the chain. And, and it's really, really showing up now that people have been furloughed and, and businesses have closed. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I just think this is, you know, I mean, if there's any, if there's ever a time to hit the reset button, as we're seeing across the nation, on our, on our attitude and our debates, uh, now's that time. Yeah, I would just add, too, uh, just one other thought with that, that when I look at this, because my organization, 90% of our funding comes from government contracts. So we're looking very carefully at what's happening with our government partners. And one of the things we're observing is this year's tough. Next year will be horrible. Horrible. The year after that will be a nightmare. Um, unless something really changes, and it's not likely to. So what we need to start doing now um, is have some real discipline about taking decisions on as early as we can. This is the sort of thing I'm saying about the COLA and the conversation with labor. We need to start having that earlier, not just for the system, but also for the parts of the system, our employees, because if we get put in a corner, we're just going to, we're going to solve problems with layoffs. I mean, we're a service provider. <laughs> that, that, and, and then people, then we're just making people, uh, throwing people out into poverty who, it's, who, will, who will actually need us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, like, we turn our employees into our, into our clients. Yeah, exactly. So we really got to, I, I really, I'm, I'm committed to this idea of, I, that's why I appreciate what you're asking, Joe, about this next item. We're not there yet. We're still in the discussion. And I'd like us to wrap up that, uh, start wrapping up. Uh, Noah, did you have anything else you wanted to add before we? Well, I guess, you know, just really appreciate everything you brought up, Trustee DeVries. And, you know, I think, like you said, it's a timing thing and it's a because we can thing, right? I mean, I think we've all been hearing and not too comfortable with the notion that uh, we push out our AP when our cash flow is not right. We've got, you know, stuff pushing out. And and here we have a, here we have contract decisions that are going to be coming before us every month. And so having the discipline on the front end, um, you know, just makes sense. Um, And I think, um, of course, I'm concerned about morale. um, But I also know that we haven't done big mass layoffs. We have like other other employers have. I think that even though maybe we haven't been able to do the colas, I I think we've been growing. So I know that there's been promotions. I know that, you know, I'm sure there's performance-based increases and things that have happened. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just assuming or basing on what I'm seeing. So even though um, these are hard and horrible and not fun decisions to make, I, I also think it's we've been balancing a lot, and and um, and so I think something's got to give somewhere. So yeah, I mean I appreciate this question, and I do think we need to have that discipline around contracts because we can. It's like we can push out the AP, and that's not none of these things are desirable. It's just what business as well as the equity piece. Okay, so we're sort of straddling two issues. I'm going to move us out of the discussion. Uh, hopefully, staff were taking a lot of notes on our, uh, <laughs> our can, thoughts. Could I, I just ask for a Yeah, question. sure, please. So 
what you're what you're saying is uh, in that chart is that as it stands right now, going into the budget process, we would have a thirty-two million dollar deficit. Is, is that what on that on the operations on on that's just purely operations yeah, that's, yeah. Before, that's before we actually before we so this is remember when you when she showed you that uh slide with that blue line yeah that was baseline budget and that was um producing like a 3.2 percent margin so now you've basically dropped that by about 60 million dollars because you don't have the 3.2 margin you have a negative 3.2 uh, th 3% margin. Right, but, but we haven't really made any decisions on, on that yet, right? That's we, correct. No, we haven't. I just wanted clarification. That's our starting point, and I, just to make it clear, because I, I had this conversation with uh, Kim and Del Vecchio, so that if we were to put back a reasonable, just a very baseline sort of EBITDA to get at the capital expenditures that we need to make, 56. sort of deferred maintenance sort of stuff, we're at 60 to 70 million. Yeah, you know. right. This slide, that cash flow slide, if you want to pull it up, we have time. Mike, can you? Mike, are you pulling it up? He may have gone over to try to start the other meeting. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah, I think I think we I think the, the point. The, the, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we need to pull it back up, but uh, no, Kim, no. thanks. But yeah, kind of, we we kind of see where we're at. Uh, yeah, I, I I understand. I would say the point is it's twofold. One, I absolutely appreciate the conversation. I think uh, um, uh, we should probably uh, move forward with your action, and we can we can work to make it happen, or at least your recommendation. We can see what we can do between now and the board meeting. Probably not a lot, but we can move it forward. But the other point being, you know, even you know five percent across the board, five percent contract, every little bit helps. I think the ultimate point being not. I'm just pretty confident at this point that unless you start doing something more drastic and we're not producing that, uh, at least not now, that this is only going to get us so far. And really the conversation has to go in the opposite direction, which is this organization is under-resourced. You could resource the organization right. and then, and, and then uh, we're in a different space, but the both have to happen. You doing us focusing on this is, is, is like this part of a, a something this big. And we should do this, but we still yeah. got to deal with the rest of this. But we, we have to do it. I, I, I do. Th yeah, I, right. So it's it's uh, there are bigger questions, but there's the fact that we have to have a balanced budget going into the year. It's something that's not right. something we can really get around. Well, we, still right. have, we still have to go through that whole negotiation with the county around the net negative. Balance. On the net negative balance. There's, right. Because it means what do you mean by it would mean being very crystal about what we mean by a balanced budget. A balanced budget on operations would mean, you know, zero or above. And zero or above even do doesn't do anything for the net negative balance. Uh, and so you're still well off. You don't have any, uh, you don't have sufficient money for capital. Uh, so you're going to have these quality issues. You're going to have operations issues and uh, uh, per perhaps morale, morale issues. And you did all this stuff, and you still got those problems. So it's almost like you got to. I'll be, I'll be honest, I really see the, the. Yeah, I split them that way. I still do that. I don't know. It probably drive people crazy, but the, it, the operations budget is completely the trustee's responsibility. The net negative balance. The the bigger question about starving a starved system. That's a question that that we share with the treasurer of this public hospital system. Right. Alameda uh, 
And we, we're having a conversation. Right? I think we're having a productive conversation with them. So I don't want to leave any impression we're not. But I do, th- you know, we actually have to balance a budget, operating budget. Yeah. 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 So it's not, it's not either or, in other words. It's- exactly. And it's just being cl- very clear about uh, the implications of operating or, or, or producing a, um, a balanced operational budget and, and recognizing that those other things, if not addressed, uh, won't, won't create a a level of quality experience I understand why you want to say that that, that, that you want to have so it's just a, yeah it's just a balance of saying yeah because you've got to manage oh, why balance your budget and you're managing the organization why is it that you know people are still not having this and they don't get with it well that's yeah. fair enough uh, those those are the reasons yeah okay, so um i'm sorry i'm gonna really push us now so joe uh are you interested in maybe putting forward a so we're on item d action items we have four contracts We've had a conversation. Maybe I, let's do a motion and then see. Yeah, what <clears throat> yeah, I would. I'm sorry, I had I had it up on my other screen and now I lost it. But I'm going to make a motion that we approve items D two, D three, right now, and that we table. D1 and D4 and ask staff to go back and see if there's room for some sort of across the board uh, reduction in those contracts with those providers uh, with the understanding that uh, no hard feelings. It's just we're in a global economic downturn. Is there a second to that motion? Yeah, I'll second it. I want discussion, though, a little bit. Absolutely. I, I I just want clarification from Ira and contracting that I, so I, I agree with Joe's, uh, I, I like Joe's concept. I just want to be clear that pulling D1 and D4 will not immediately impact any type of care confirmation from Dr. J and Ira uh, as of uh, effective July 1. Yeah. Fair question. <laughs> um, this I, is, I think, Ira, go ahead. Yes, this is Ira. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak. I wanted to clarify a couple of items. Um, with regards to um, any kind of cessation of services effective July 1, um, I can't guarantee anything because I haven't spoken with either of the vendors, but I would seriously doubt from our past relationship that they would. With regards, however, to the likelihood of any movement over the next week and a half, um, I wanted to give some clarification. With regards to UCSF, I think one of the things that you may be reacting understandably to is the apparent size in millions of dollars of the term changes from the current agreement of 23 million to the new agreement, which is like 28. Right. That actually has some elements in there that I was going to speak to if we had gone through in the normal fashion, but I wanted to just outline them here. First of all, there were additional services that were added over the course of the current year agreement, of the current agreement, that really culminated in the final third year of it, having all the full panoply of services that we are going to pay or we're proposing to pay for for all three of the renewal years. So there is actually a mismatch. And so it's not really apples to apples. If you did an annualization of the final third year of the current agreement, which has all of the services that we really are going to get for all three years of the proposed renewal, 
then you would actually see that the total cost, instead of being $23 million, uh, you would see that it was $26.183 million. And there's still a couple million dollars difference, but it is much less of a gap than what it appears to be at this point in time. Another thing to keep in mind is that, unlike the current agreement, UCSF in the proposed term has agreed to accept that increase, if you will, for all three of the term years going forward. That is, they will not get an escalator on years two or year three. So if you divide what is a 7.33% increase then by three, then you will get roughly a 2.4% increase per annum based on what they presumably have agreed to with their staff for increases, union, et cetera. Probably not a lot of flexibility, but that doesn't mean we can't ask. That's a clarification on that one. With regards to the ambulance, there's a little bit of concern without going into great depth on that. There were some challenges in their ability to bill for receivables that they're supposed to bill on their own. And that's how they make most of their money. We only pay for health pack and indigent transports. Unfortunately, due to some challenges on our side with processing claims that they, the ambulance company, needed to get their own revenues in, they were not able to realize rather significant revenue streams. We have been making good progress on catching up, but that delay actually ran over the entire three-year term of their agreement. So they're a bit gun-shy. And so just wanted to put that out there for context. Dr. Jamal, I, I, I appreciate No, oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, you can go, Joe. No, I, I really appreciate that, Ira. And I think you do a great job uh, and, and you know, teeing us up for us. And I think with the, um, I, I appreciate the concern around Royal. Um, in regard to UCSF, um, it really wasn't the jump from 23 to 28 that caused me any grief because I, I kind of, from the, my brief reading, it was, it was, hey, you know, that we're getting more, we're getting more for it. I, and I, I respect that. Uh, I think I heard you mention contracts with doctors. I mean, like, this is essentially paying surgeons, correct? Yes, it is paying surgeons and then various staff that they have as well. I can't just off the top of my head recall everything, but the majority of it is surgery, yes. Yeah, and so I guess my point is, like, if, if they say, well, here's what, here's what this surgeon costs, and so therefore this surgeon times the total number of surgeons, our total cost is X, I guess what I was saying is, yeah, I'd like them to go back and have a conversation, and I realize I'm probably talking to people that, you know, uh, are, they're working in our system, you know what's what's a reasonable belt tightening in the in these in these very uncertain times? Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't the jump. It's more like the overall you know impact. And, and Joe, this tapped. I, I I agree with the concept. I agree. I just want to make sure that there's not the potential, which, which I don't think there is. Or we're dealing with probability management that they walk away and then we're left with a gap in service. I highly doubt that, and that I just want us to put that in the calculus of our decision making, and um, and I, I just wanted to make sure from Ira that there's nothing that said, oh, there's no contract. They won't work until there's a contract, and it sounds like yeah. we can transition, and it sounds like we have the room for that dialogue. My question back to uh, I guess the chair uh, would be, what would happen if this became an emergency thing? What would be our process for which we would have for which we'd approve this off? regular cycle yeah i was going to um i was going to ask mike about that i it seems to me we could simply uh go back Call to special. the full board um yeah. and take action at the full board in open session okay 
Is yes, that, yeah, that's true. And, okay. and I'm okay with modifying my motion that to, to leave it open for an action with the full board. I'm I'm okay with that, with that if it you know if it looks like we have to move forward in two weeks and not wait until the next finance committee. Fine. Um, yeah, I think we would have to reflect for the the the, the record, obviously, uh, as we should with all of these. The, the, uh, the upshot of the, the uh, motion, which was uh, to basically endorse this going forward for full board approval. Um, uh, and so if it was that it's coming without the finance committee, that doesn't preclude any of you as committee members with new information, changing your position, saying, you know, now understanding that there's no there's no room, we've explored it, which I think is the right thing to do, uh, uh, that, you know, with that new set of information, I'm prepared to move this forward but but um yeah i think we just do it that way yeah because we're just making a recommendation to the full board that's right we could modify that based on new information yeah okay full board good okay um other trustees want to comment uh i had had a question i'm trying to kind of build on what joe was saying do you think they're would be uh, it would be make sense that in future contracts that are brought before the board that we identify any cost of living escalators that are in the contract? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good, great question. I like that. N- not that you know, and then we could discuss them at the board meeting, and we could go over the circumstances around. If you want it, I don't. I don't see any reason why we we couldn't do that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I would have to tell me, but if yeah, if it's cost of living adjustments uh, uh, that are escalators for the contract, we could we could spell that out just as we do the other parts of it, okay. as opposed to increases in services. Right. Yeah. Sounds like a good idea. Yes, this is our we we can absolutely do that. We can be quite granular if you would like. We could even include a small section where it would say, you know, this is the net increase, and then for what each fraction of that increase is attributable to COLA for existing staff slash services, new services, et cetera. And then you can see how it was all built up. That'd be, that sounds like a good idea. That'd be great. Well, I don't know if this is just getting to, and I'm trying to pick up on what you were saying, Ira, earlier, um, or read between the lines, I'm not sure, but if there was some issue about our performance in terms of whatever is going on with some kind of billing or documentation, I don't know if there's a way to build some things in so that it's, um, so that there's opportunity to make this lower and more reflective based on also whatever it is we're supposed to do on our end, if that made any sense. Um, yes, um, with regards to the ambulance um, agreement, that's what I mean, we were re- right, referring exactly. to. Um, yes, um, th- those changes, I think, with regards to um, picking it up on our side so that those claims were processed in a more timely fashion, as well as dealing with the backlog, have they made admirable process, progress. But um, they, they just may be gun-shy, because it did last for pretty much the totality of their first agreement, which is the three-year agreement that's expiring, and they realize some significant cash flow challenges as a result. They've been extraordinarily accommodating to us and kind, um, but when we tried to get them to do extensions just to get us to this point, they were really resistant because they're like, we just aren't getting the cash in we need. Now, that's changing, but again, whether they're psychologically scarred enough to trust I don't know. We can certainly ask. Mm-hmm. 
Got it. So do we have it set up, Ira, in a way that if they do get paid, we don't have to pay? Is that structured in the agreement so that if we improve the process and they can get paid, we'll pay out less? Um, yes, fundamentally, the, they they realize the majority of their um, revenues are from things they bill directly, but they can't drop any of those invoices, as I generally understand it, until we, because we're the treater, um, create the claim and then pass it along. And that was where the logjam was evidently occurring. And now there's new staffing, new training that's been implemented. It's been very positive, but there was like a year-long plus two years backlog. They were working. Not <laughs> I've been there with government. Uh, yeah, we also. I mean, I I know with them too uh, uh, that we're working on a. Uh, well, we're in the vetting processes of a a more. There's there's a lot of manual work that happens in these processes, uh, both to uh, um, procure the transportation services from them, coordinate it with the patients, and all of that. Uh, that involves us pulling information out of our EMR in order to pass that information along to them. Uh, they have invested in an automated way to do that, uh, but our, our ability to support their ability to do that uh, is predicated on an investment on our part uh, and a build in Epic in order to do that. And now uh, that has to be uh, vetted and prioritized like any new things that we would consider through the IT steering uh, process. And and that is in the works, but may take a while to get through, but they know that. Uh, uh, and so I, I, my understanding is doing that will both help them, but it also helps us. Uh, and the contract, I don't think, uh, well, the contract contemplates the cost uh, based off of our run rate. So the experience could be improvement on our behalf. The magnitude of it remains to be seen, but we'll, we'll we can, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be mindful of that. Um, okay, one so other thing. call the question. So, so Mr. Chair, if you could just have the uh, question restated because it seems like the, there's been some modifications to the original motion. So, and I'll just, <clears throat> the motion at this point is for the committee to recommend approval of items D2 and D3, and that the uh, committee will defer a recommendation with respect to D1 and D4 to the full board meeting. That was my understanding. Is there, uh, was there an addition to that, Joe? No, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, Mike, Mike just made it simple, but there's a lot of work involved in that deferral. <laughs> it just took us a half hour. <laughs> Okay. Hey, you got to set the tone. We got to set the tone. I, I should have told you at the no, beginning no, of the meeting that I was going to hold you up at the end of the meeting. I, I, no, I just... this was actually a really important conversation. Thank you, Joe. Groups aside, so um, all those in favor of the motion? Aye. 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 Okay, we're all in. Those opposed? None. Passes. Uh, we had item meeting discussion. I'm going to move us on. Just a reminder to Kim that it would be good to add to our tracking list a report, a more detailed report out uh, in the next three or four months um, related to TAPS questions. On revenue integrity and um, charge reconciliation, sure. To give, to give us a little more flesh on that bone. Okay. Thank you. And I think we're there. Plus 36, not bad. <laughs> Wise guy. <laughs> a lot of talk, lots to talk about the critical stuff. Good stuff. Adjourn. Bye. Bye. See some of you in a few. Bye, folks.